welcome to the final House of the Dragons stream of the couple of years, I assume at this point. Finale of how of the hot D is upon us. Lots of strange things happening at episode, bodies exploding in ways that I did not expect, and a lot of dragon lore, which I'm sure will delight those in the chat, but especially my esteemed guest, Aziz of History of Westeros. Hello, Aziz. Welcome back. It's been so good to see you. Hey, Matt, how's it going? I'm esteemed, am I? I think that means I've been promoted. I didn't realize that <laughs> that's cool. Before I was just steamed. That's you right. Steamy is easy. In front of that sounds a lot cooler. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. This is cool. I haven't done a show in I don't know how long it's been. Two days, it's one day, non stop so streams. I do, do pre shows and <laughs> stuff like that, and well after shows, but right, right after. Although not right that after this time. Yeah, <laughs> not right after. Yeah. Everybody saw it in the last couple of days. Not exactly fresh, but in a, yeah. I th the, it's still, even after watching it a few times, still still hitting me in certain ways. And it's one of those things where it gave you, me a lot more to, to think about as I kept going back to it. Like the way things were unspoken, the connect, we were talking about this before the stream, the connections back to previous episodes, things I didn't catch the first time through. So this is a little bit more of a review than an, a reaction, but you know what? We can fake it. We're talented people. We can pretend to be extremely excited like it just happened. It just happened. Oh my God, did you see that, Aziz? Holy shit. Yeah, no shit. idea that was gonna happen four <laughs> the, years ago. Just the craziest <laughs> thing. Yeah, when he read Fire and Blood. I guess even before that, World of Ice and Fire had mm. a lot of these major moments. What was that, 2014? Yeah. Ugh. But we surely didn't expect to ever see it on television. That wasn't really more than a pipe dream back then. So, yes. That Thank is you, true. gods of television. <laughs> the same thing happened to a whole bunch of Fire and Blood stuff I did back in the day where it was just like, I'm doing this for fun. I don't think this is ever going to be a TV show. And then all of a sudden, just like watching my YouTube channels, they all just fly up. I'm like, oh. Okay, I was unexpected, but I'm happy about it. Why, thank you. <laughs> thank you for everybody who wants to know more about the Strongs. That's what we're here for. Yeah. Really just came roaring back like the tide. It's We're lucky it's good, aren't we? Yes, we are. We are very lucky it's good and that suddenly everybody wants to know everything about Lara Strong, or at least I am. Very lucky myself. <laughs> and even though, yeah, even though we did literally know it was going to happen in the episode, there were still a few... Big surprises there. Two of them, I would say. Yeah, I think so. There were some pretty big surprises, and it's been consistent the way they've surprised us. For the most part, there's been a few other surprises, like a dragon bursting through the floor is obviously an exception. But most of the surprises have come in the way that they've interpreted the characters sure. within the framework of the open space created by the source material. Yeah. Fire and Blood has that. Open space, you say? You mean yeah, <laughs> the fact it, that it literally nobody that. knows what happened? Yeah, nobody knows what happened up there on that big-ass dragon. That's The maesters wouldn't know that. Eamon didn't tell them. No one else was there to witness it. They just, afterwards, they're like... This must have happened. Angry, vindictive kid who's always had it out for the guy who cut out his eye. Next thing you know, his dragon's been torn to shreds. They're not going to assume it was an accident. Like, how it's hard to imagine that it was an accident. But we see it, and it, that was. He lost control. Vagar not obey, and... That was nicely tra extra tragic that way and set up. There's a lot of things we can point to in the show and in the text that apply this sort of thing happens. Yeah, it happens 
pretty much all the time. And I've been happy about it. There were some Twitter threads in the last couple of days about people about uh, that I made as well. Also, Luca over at Watchers on the Wall about how it's been really good to see these characters fleshed out and not just the caricatures that they're often shown as in Fire and Blood, because obviously it's lacking depth. That's the point of it. It's like an outline and filling in the gaps in between. And I've been really enjoying that, especially Amond. We'll get to Amond and mm -hmm. what he what really happened with him. But he's been one of the characters along with Allison, actually most of the greens, except for Aegon. Aegon just got trashed the same way he did in the book. But everyone else has really <laughs> added a lot of depth to them. Yeah, I agree. that, And that's super important because they have to, in otherwise, they're not very interesting if they're just villainous and they both have to be written well to, to rise out of that perception that they were given by the source material and they have to be acted really well to evade us even if we don't like them we can still enjoy the performance but as it turns out I kind of like them and I love their performances <laughs> very good performances especially out of in this one he kind of walked the line between insane and well, this is definitely going to be a video. Like the, <laughs> You can see the war inside of himself as he's going through this and how yeah, he doesn't yeah. really... He's super conflicted, even though outwardly he's trying not to seem like it. Anyway, anyway, before we get going into the episode, we're going to go through it scene by scene, drop some hot analysis, give you guys <laughs> everything you need to know to go out tomorrow and tell your coworkers about how smart you are. And you, It's okay. You can claim you came up with it. It's all right. You don't have to credit me and Aziz. It's fine. So... Let's see here. So we got 275 people watching. Hello, everybody. If we get that like number up to 150, I am put on a silly hat. We go to 200. I'll give away a free t-shirt. 250, a different silly hat. If we go above that, who knows? The sky's the limit. Maybe. Who knows what we'll do? Things will go crazy. Maybe he's scanning my affinity for hats of my own here. Yeah. Uh, maybe pick up a cat or something. I don't know. Cat for the hat. There. Yeah. Oh, you do it every time, Aziz. Every time. <laughs> I'm going to take it. I'm like Vagar. I can't be controlled if the right <laughs> stimulus is there. <laughs> Except instead of eating dragons, it's just you and wordplay. <laughs> yeah, I can't. Yeah, exactly. Mine's a little less harmful. And... <laughs> Depends on the puns. Actually, there was that guy. <laughs> Did you see I tagged you the, uh, the other day on that Twitter thing where somebody commented on my Laris feet video and the entire comment was just feet puns. I was like, <laughs> this is a disciple of history of Westeros if I've ever seen it. <laughs> we went to the same school. Yeah. <laughs> he prays at your altar. No feet chat. There's no amount of likes for seeing feet. Laris might be watching, and I'm not comfortable with that. So I think to start off with the opening scene is the whole big painted table thing. And I thought it was interesting they started off with Luke because we've seen a lot of Jace, more or less. Luke just slashed the eye and giggled, and then just we haven't seen a lot from him. And that's one of those kind of kisses of deaths in House of the Dragon. The second they get characterization, that person is about to die oh there is a cat anyway no no He's need to slam the lake for a cat they just show up they do they sense the opportunity as well Good dragon silly <laughs> kid he doesn't want driftmark he's sure that the sea snake is gonna die i actually thought it was interesting that he sided with vaymond he was like i think vaymond was right i think he should have gotten driftmark i'm gonna suck <laughs> at it yeah it's funny he doesn't need to bring up that whole bastard part but i guess he's right about that too but but yeah that was really interesting because it, it was meant to be sneaky i think from the perspective of a more casual viewer what they get there is oh luke's thinking the sea snake's gonna die and instead he's the one who dies and the sea snake doesn't and when they when rainice shows up they're expecting it to be the news that the sea snake has died but no it's news from king's landing Whoops. so they thought that was kind of neat the way they on that so it had him out in a couple different ways 
just making sure Luke has maximum anxiety at all times. Oh no, Sea Snake's not dead. It's just, we're going to war. No biggie or anything. Hope you've trained on Arax a lot because we're going to need you, 14-year-old kid. I actually really like that conversation too between him and Rhaenyra. I don't know about you. I just I just laughed where he's like, oh, I wish I was as perfect as you, Rhaenyra, my mother. And I was like, ooh, ooh you have not been watching Highest of the Dragon, have you, Luke? You shan't. Good thing you won't. That's one the silver linings. <laughs> you won't have to see how bad it gets. Yeah, that was not great. And she's like, oh, I'm just, I'm not so perfect. All right. Yeah, we know, Renee. We've seen all the imperfect things you've done in graphic detail. <laughs> Nobody mentioned Kristen Cole. Nobody. <laughs> I also, there was another line that afterwards that kind of made me cringe where she said, my father looked after me and helped me prepare for my duties. Your mother will do the same for you. And I was like, did he though? Did he? Did Viserys prepare you to do this? He didn't really. He just left you to your own devices. <laughs> Whatever you could absorb from the book about Dorne and, and Nymeria. <laughs> just extracting wisdom from the pages while you're just fucking off sitting in front of a weirwood tree. I guess that's preparing you to rule and then ignoring you for six years. I don't know mm. about that one. I'm fucking up Luke, I understand. She's not going to give him the hard truth like, your grandfather sucked. He didn't do anything for me. <laughs> Like, hey, Viserys is like, hey, that's how I was raised, man. No one taught me to be king. They just picked me at the council and said, here you go, man. <laughs> I like the idea like of that. Viserys being Dude. a stoner. Yeah, Just yeah, like on his way to Margaritaville. Like, why'd they pick me, man? Rainey's Sorry, asking the same you. questions. Yeah. <laughs> and Luke asking those questions too. Now Luke doesn't come off like he's high, but he definitely didn't want the responsibility of assailing lordship where, he, as he put it, he gets green sick from in the harbor or whatever. Yeah, I thought that was surprising because we saw Luke and Corley's talking at Lena's funeral. And Corlys is like, you're going to be the Lord of Driftmark. You're going to be great at it. You're my blood. Like, this is all going to be great. It didn't follow that one through, did you, Corlys? He doesn't know how to sail a ship. <laughs> yeah, D you didn't really. Another thing. Yeah. Thing he missed out on by going off to the Stepstones. I guess the silver lining of that being he, he won it entirely, which was a surprise. Yeah, that one came out of nowhere. Oh, hat time. Silly hat. Thank you guys for slamming that button. Oh, that's one of your iconic hats. I'm going to try and see. Hang on a second. There we go. Oh, seeing is important. Yeah, I guess if we're reading from a doc or something like that. But yeah, so then afterwards, Sir Darklin arrives, and I was surprised to see him... I was wondering, me and uh, Lady Gwyn and Yilkba were wondering if they were going to merge him with Harold Westerling, if they were just going to make him a different member of the Kingsguard, because it seemed so obvious that after Harold left that he was clearly doing his Barristan the Bold, and he was going to go find his Dragon Queen. Like, I, I was sure that's what they were doing. And instead, no, Harold Westerling's just flat out missing, and Stefan Darklin is just himself. A curious thing on that one. Yeah. What do you make about Darklin, that? What, what do you think well, they're doing well, well, with Harold? Darklin had been around for had been around earlier, but we had looked through the ones in Fire and Blood, and there's one Kingsguard who goes to Storm's End, the war with Jahara, sits there the whole war, and just that's all he ever does. <laughs> so that's Willis Fell. So we figured that's the one that they cut to replace Harold West to put Harold Westerling, so. extend Harold Westerling's life, because all the other ones now are counted. Now that we found out that this last guy was Laurent Marbury, and that was the other missing. List. So yeah, so I. But as far as Harold Westerling, I'm I definitely have no idea. It was very curious how they chose to use this very famous actor, one of the most famous actors in the show. Yeah, obviously not more so than like Matt Smith, but more so than most everybody else. And so it was odd the way they used him implied there would be a bigger role so i guess in some sense it's not surprising that they're not done with him 
but in any other way, it is curious. And what are they waiting for? I don't is he know. Holding, he could have gotten there pretty quickly. He could have gone with Eric. Like, why not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or maybe he's, oh, now there is a king, so I'll just go back to the greens. But he's, oh, Cole took my job. I'm subordinate now. Yeah, he's no longer Lord yeah. Commander. Kristen appears to be, so I don't know where he's doing. He definitely seemed to express a lot of distaste for everything about trying to kill a Rhaenyra. I assume that meant that he, he used to be her sworn shield, so I assume there's some sort of, like, big brotherly, fatherly protection thing going on there but just doesn't show up for it like i i do not understand <laughs> i don't know if you're gonna save him okay but then use him but they didn't like just off screen i don't know maybe maybe yeah maybe he's gonna show up with Lanor in a couple seasons or something like that uh, there's this whole squad of characters that got away yeah. characters that should be dead and are not yeah <laughs> the undead hot d <laughs> He just did the math and was like, Lenor is the true king. And people are, but he's just really bad at math. So, that's, oh, of course. That's what went wrong. <laughs> it's like, I'm a king's guard, not a mathematician, <laughs> not a legal scholar. And it just went wrong. Yeah. What are you going to do? I did enjoy that they, <laughs> uh, he took up the, the duty of Sir Harold and announced people as they walked in. I was like, I guess that's what the king's guard does. That's their primary role, considering they can't protect anybody. Not really their thing, yeah. protecting. They're mostly just announcers yeah um, with dragons around their job is a bit different on one hand there's nothing they can do when the dragons get involved on the other hand it's one most vulnerable thing about a whole dragon situation is the rider itself so you really need to protect them so that's all but, they can do we so yeah. back to sir stefan he walks in he says uh, rain princess renice they have been very clear that it's not rainice it's renice i guess that's what i'm gonna have to call her from now on brings her in and Damon immediately just does what every fan did for the last week and says to Renice, so they didn't kill you. You didn't swear to them. You got away. How'd you do it? She's, oh, I got on Melius and flew away. And he's like, why didn't you kill everybody? Yeah, why didn't you just torch them all? I was like, I know that's what you would do. But kind of an interesting answer from her there that actually Eve Best kind of clarified in the after the episode. I'm pretty sure that they knew <laughs> they needed some more for explaining things. That at this point, even though she had thrown in with Rhaenyra, she wasn't sure she really wanted to fully. Which was a little confusing after the whole Vaiman thing. But I, I get, she explained that she didn't have confidence in Rhaenyra's a monarch and she didn't want to commit everything without Corlys on her own knowing it would doom their entire house if she did at that moment i'm like okay at least that kind of gets you most of the way there yeah i'm surprised no one i guess they just haven't thought about it enough but i think they she could easily mention the whole slaying taboo that's still a pretty big deal i guess that's not a thing for her she doesn't care yeah didn't come up <laughs> oh yeah i could have i was like i could have said that dang yeah it made there, was a, cool. there was a septon up there i didn't want to kill him <laughs> allison she's innocent i didn't need to kill her or helena everyone loves helena i couldn't kill her i would have bought that one yeah she could have just like eaten Aegon and not torched anyone <laughs> actually in the chat our shrinkster emma damon saying why didn't you do the war crime we wanted you to do and so the war crimes i usually do yeah Damon's come on, war crimes. What's wrong with war crimes? They're not crimes. We're royalty. There are no crimes. 
If you win, there's nothing. A very specific set of war crimes we do. and <laughs> Not this one, says Rainey's. I Okay, I guess so. The other thing that I thought was interesting about this is that both of them are very suspicious of Rainey. As Renice, as soon as she walks in, they both question her on how she got away and if she, who she swore to. Which I thought was a little strange, because if she had sworn to Aegon, I assume she wouldn't be there. You can just bypass that one. Just be like, uh, so she's, of course, we know from watching the episode that they're setting up that she's not going to throw for Rhaenyra instantly, that she needs to be convinced. But I don't know. That one felt like a little bit like working backwards. But I thought the other thing that uh, that really... Wait, hang on. Where, where is it? What was the other thing? It was... Talking about her husband or... Yeah, yeah, that's it. I lost my place. How... Obviously, she's got that to... Yeah. Legitimately fall back on is something to wait and say, it's not my call entirely. This is such a big decision. If I'm going to have this event that's be remembered forever on their house and he should have a say in it, that kind of thing. Whether she, whether that's true or not, it is true. Whether she feels that way or not, she can say it. And we've already seen she's pretty smooth about timing and being which way the political winds are blowing and things like that but she so. already did she already made she already threw the future of her house in with Rhaenyra it was like did you really need to take a step backwards on that one I thought you were already all in with the whole double marriage thing that one seemed like we're tight I'm with you I guess there's also I mean a lot of people as Rhaenyra pointed out they haven't seen battle Rhaenys is not a young lady but she's never to anyone true i don't think she did just kill a bunch of peasants there <laughs> to her that doesn't count they, but, those uh, aren't people those are peasants yeah so the general way they think i think so, there's a little bit of that involved as well she just it's not, not as easy for her to pull the trigger like it would be for maybe for damon for example <laughs> and that comes up a lot that's a major theme of the season so far is that none of these people have really seen war it's just Corlys and damon Everyone else is playing at it, and they've all built up in their heads of what they'll do when war finally comes and how they'll react, but none of them really do. Even Rhaenys, who is apparently an expert dragon rider, and she's totally willing to guard the gullet and stuff like that, but yeah, she hasn't seen combat, and she hasn't seen dragon combat, and who knows? It would probably be pretty terrifying. Also, we just hit 200 likes on the stream. Thank you, everybody. So if you guys want to win Boom. a free t-shirt perhaps even an ass waffle go ahead and type rainy's renice in the chat in five minutes we'll roll it somebody will get themselves a free shirt not you aziz don't you dare uh, i already uh, gave you a free shirt <laughs> i think i give you a discounted one at least <laughs> i think that's how it works <laughs> i have a joe magician shirt i don't recall the circumstances of its acquisition <laughs> i'm going to say i gave it to you because it makes me look better i don't actually remember either i gave away a bunch of them so yeah type rainy's in the chat for to win yourself a shirt oh go ahead speaking of rainy she said she was going to patrol the gullet right mm -hmm. but we saw where the real gullet was with oh! dangling vagar's neck there oh yeah That's got him yeah the real gullet it really didn't hit me until i i thought it back i looked at the painted table i'm like oh so they imagined that is like a mouth that's like a dragon's mouth is that like a dragon bay or something like that? It's called Blackwater Rush, but it was like, that's, that is a weird name to, to give that a throat. That's the well, throat? It's a, it's a small gull. I guess. <laughs> a baby <laughs> a gull. small gull. This isn't Pokemon, it's ease. <laughs> it's a gullet. I bet that's a name of Pokemon that I don't even remember at this point. Oh God, the entire chat is a spanning Rainies. I'm going to say I... that five times. I'm going to get it. I typed gullet. Oh my God. Unbelievable. You know what? You're not winning a thing, Aziz. 
nothing. <laughs> also, as soon as Rhaenyra hears the news, Aegon has usurped her. She instantly like grabs her stomach, and every emotional beat that comes out of Rhaenys's mouth, she instantly goes like, ooh, ah, ooh, like she's getting punched in the stomach. And then she reaches on her dress and she sees blood coming out. I thought the timing was they very much made this pregnancy seem magical in way she's react like she's emotionally losing that child that's i guess what they're trying to say there like the shock of hearing this news is what's making it come right now which was i'm not sure if that's a thing but it's certain based on what happens later and what we know about that kid and the flashes with cyrax there's definitely something different about that pregnancy sort of similar to daenerys and rago i would say yeah i agree it was very dragony as if maybe the reason she didn't want any help was because she didn't want any human contact because she was like not in a human headspace and the child was like reverberating with that or something. It was really interesting and there's a lot of that in the whole episode. All the dragons we saw had the bonds were on display and that's a bit of it feels set up. That'll be more important going forward. There'll be even more dragon lore and issues of control or lack of control because mostly they've only been asked to fly from place to place and their vehicles they're just like fast cars That's like right. personal helicopters. big dangerous like fast cars yeah they're just intimidating helicopters yeah so it's there we're just now seeing the different circumstances and how they can be used and that's bringing up new circumstances and uh, her level of tension creates new emotions within her bond that the dragon mm. the cyrax had never felt that before i wonder yeah you think heard. that was like the first time they'd ever like felt that way between them because it seems surprising to both of them there was like flashing back and forth oh hey i, I didn't know we could do this didn't have that for joffrey so yeah. pretty deliberate so i think maybe there was something else going on like she didn't have the same struggle with her other children as far as we are as far as it's implied no and, very well, strange and they also there's a bunch of lines that tell us that this is supposed to be highly unusual the maester says this should not be happening it's way too soon the midwives are all freaking out they've been pretty calm except for the time Emma died the rest of the way through. Again, the threat of death via pregnancy is being set up like, oh no, is Rhaenyra about to die right here? Obviously not, she's the main character. Definitely not actually gonna happen, but they're, they inverted on you. And instead it's the the baby that ends up coming out. And actually we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit, but blood everywhere. This is like the most gruesome thing that we've seen since Emma was cut in half. So yeah, yeah. not great. <laughs> Somebody asked yeah, me was... after I'd watched the episode, one of the Song of Ice and Fire mods, there was like, so what'd you think of the birth scene? I was like, extremely graphic. They went over the top on this one. <laughs> yeah, this was the season of births. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them. Yeah, we really got that. But yeah, it was intense. And there was one of the stands in contrast to all the really cinematic scenes that we discussed at the beginning. This was more, it had its cinematic elements because of the dragon ashes. But it was also more about uh, loss and her emotions about it all the intensity of that was more dominant than just how it looked or this, even the supernatural was secondhand to that because it was so intense and because we've become used to this as a theme this season as we said mm. that's that we were conditioned to it uh, given how much it's come up i felt like they were very much calling back to daenerys here but they this was like mm -hmm. the there literally was a pyre like she is reborn afterwards the dragons are dancing that kind of stuff there's somebody literally singing to dragons in this episode it, it felt like they were just redoing that whole scene on the iraqi uh, sea 
with uh, Rhaenyra. That's but, a great point. Even the kneeling happens yeah. right after that. Everyone idea, swears right to her. Burning. Good Interesting point. inversion there that they very sneaky way. They also they had a bunch of lines from her this episode too. They had the thing about I won't be the queen of, of bone and ash she and bone. stuff like mm -hmm. that. So obviously they're calling back to her. The interesting thing is as she goes into labor, Damon instantly goes into war mode. He grabs the council. Everyone get around this painted table where he starts giving out orders. He's Rhaenyra ready or not, war is coming, I guess in a sense. But then we go out to the outside and we see an interesting scene where Jace and Luke are training. And, but Jace is being really a dick about it. He's What's really, he's hammering Luke with his sword. He's yelling at him when he's down on the sand. What does he say to him? I didn't get what he said, but basically he just- said, what was that? Yeah, like you know. screaming in his face. And even the Kingsguard, Laurent Marbrand was like, hey, I don't think you're helping here. What are you doing, Jace? He's not gonna learn if you just push him into the dirt. And I'm guessing this was a callback to the last episode where Jace felt totally overmatched by Aemond. And he realized that, oh, I have no shot against him and that he got embarrassed. And we saw that with the High Valyrian thing where Jace is a very motivated young man. And when he realizes he has a fault, he's going to try and fix it. And I guess that's what's going on here. But he took it out in a very uncool way by beating up his brother, basically. I think also it's a callback to the scene where their father, their real father, outed himself where mm. Cole was intense on purpose and was telling him to beat him while he was down and all that. And then obviously Harwin steps in at that moment and it goes from there. So I think that was a little bit, felt a little bit similar, especially with Kingsguard coming up to say that the Kingsguard kind of playing the role of their, yeah. of, of Harwin there without, without it going quite so far. The one Kingsguard doing his job. Hey guys, don't beat up other princes. Not a good thing. Like that's a bad one. Oh, sorry. I'm going to go ahead and roll for the Luis McFarland. Go ahead and send me a DM on Twitter at the Joe Magician or send me an email at to askjoemagician at gmail.com. I'll send you a code. You can pick something up. Way to go, buddy. Also, remember, guys, 10 more likes, different silly hat. Okay. My silly hats. Are, there's so many of them. Actually, there's just two. This is all I got. This is the extent <laughs> of my ability to bribe my audience for likes. But yeah. Also, Fun. Have you heard the tinfoil that maybe Jace, his father, is actually Kristen? I have heard that. I'm not sure what to make of it. I don't know if the, I guess the timeline would support it, but yeah, there hasn't seemed to be any allusion to it. It feels like they would bring it up or something. I don't know. Him beating That's the shit true. out of, he's certainly acting like Kristen right there with, uh, with Luke. That's true. That's a good point. A little bit of a crazy temper after getting embarrassed, but I, I'm pretty sure he's Harwin's because yeah, otherwise why there'd be no reason for a triple fake out on his dad. Be too much even for this series. So the interesting thing is Rhaenys goes out to grab them, brings them back, and she fills them in about Viserys is dead and usurpation. And Jace like really steals himself in this moment. You you really see him like feeling like he needs to step up. There's been a change in him in the last episode since getting his ass kicked by or almost getting his ass kicked by Aemond. Like how that punch didn't land and being like Viserys complimenting him. He instantly goes, where's Damon? It's, oh, that he knows his stepfather is all about chaos and war that he's about to screw things up without, with Rhaenyra's, when Rhaenyra's not looking. Well, good call on that one. That's exactly what's going on, Jace. And we get the mm -hmm, quote, yeah. he's gone to madness, gone to plot his war. Really good line there out of Rhaenyra. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, he is like a aged animal this episode he just really wants to get to it i'm ready to fight he's r r frustrated that near <laughs> is even considering this cautious approach and 
he like from pacing when Otto shows up to where he spins his sword as he's standing there, even when he's out there grieving, he's got his sword with him. It's not on his belt half the time. There's a lot of these little signs from patient on his face to his body language that that show this, and it's another great performance by Matt Smith there showing that anger. And of course, we have to keep in mind part of his mindset is that he believes that Allison killed. Oh, that was the thing I forgot to there. say. That's right. Yeah, he instantly and, goes, which is they killed him. Ironic because Allison's the because he's he warns everybody. He's like, all right, if they're going to do anything this quickly, it'll be stealth. Allison's the one who stopped them from using a stealth assassination plot. Obviously, <laughs> also, also the Kingsguard Westerling just wouldn't go along with it. So that may have foiled their plan too. But they he may Otto would have tried again probably with somebody else if it mm-hmm. weren't for Allison just being like, no, we're just not doing that <laughs> and stepping up and being like, that is not the plan actually. <laughs> so with the uh, your hunt for Aegon, which apparently means no assassins. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's part of why when Otto shows up, he's very careful to point out the Dowager Queen, Allison, offers this deal. <laughs> that's right. This is who sent me. I might not be here if I had won the race to to find my grandson. And look, he could have looked over at Eric and been like, dude, like I was tr- I trusted you. Like, <laughs> the true betrayal, the ultimate betrayal. That's right. Yeah, Dana that's did... my only real complaint is he didn't give he didn't give Eric the stink eye. Otto didn't. He's like <laughs> he's too diplomatic for that. But he could have been like, "You, I sent you to." <laughs> Damon really does seem see murder everywhere. Like everywhere he goes, he's like that guy. That was obviously murder. He's like a Song of Ice and Fire fan, where he's like, "That was clearly a murder. That was clearly a murder. That guy definitely killed that guy." Which we know why he killed a lot of people including his he's wife he's a murderer <laughs> yeah he's totally okay with it he outright killed Vaymond. he totally killed Rhea Royce who knows how many others he enjoyed Probably himself cutting up the people of King's Landing and it was the same thing happened after Harwin's murder by Laris, where he just goes obviously Allison did it it's obviously. yeah I, that's what most people thought I think from reading Fire and Blood and then obviously right here he's it's a murderer again it's kind of funny that Damon's perception of Allison is exactly the same as what most people who read Fire and Blood had. Whereas well, she did all of it, obviously. <laughs> yeah, it's Damon's. That's the Matt. It's the Mace Tyrell school. I was like, oh, that's what I would do. So that's. <laughs> oh, the Mace Tyrell. We are blessed on this day. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it sad how we're going to get no Tyrells? I mean, I guess they could switch a thing around here or, where, here or there, but they're pretty much not a thing in this era. <laughs> yeah, that funny. is a good point. If we're going to see anything from the Reach, we know that the Tyrells, this is a book spoiler, who knows what they do in the show at this point, because this is very much a thing that happens not on the page. This is a fan assumption. The assumption is that the Tyrells refuse to help the High Towers and then basically tell their vassals to stop them more or less mm. because they all attack the high towers as soon as they start the march it's would they do that without the tyrells like help uh, assuring them that they'll back them probably not but you can believe like the beesburys for example for because yeah. of their lord being killed that's a good reason but mm. some of the others it's like were they really that loyal to rainera or is this some, yeah what else is going on here it turns out everyone hates the high towers is basically uh-huh. the, the thing that happens there been looking down on this us all these years <laughs> from their high tower uh, that's not even up that's where they are that's, it's, it's, i expect I'm more to see the name of their house oh my god <laughs> 
gonna Ooh. have to get some better puns for the rest of this all right <laughs> they break into the war council after that scene sea snake is not gonna die he's on his way from evenfall to dragonstone cool we find out that their closest allies are the darklands the masseys and the bar emmons great bar emmon reference don't get enough of the bar emmons op bar emmon reference there yeah there it is <laughs> There it is. We got there like 10 seconds later. And there's a little bit of a power struggle here that's, I think, foreshadowing what's going to happen with Rhaenyra, where Jace walks in and says, absolutely not, Damon. Back off. We're not doing anything until Rhaenyra says any says what we're going to do. And Damon basically ignores him, keeps giving out orders. He tells Lord Celtigar, or Celtigar, however you pronounce it, send out the ravens. He's, he looks at Jace. He looks at Damon. He's absolutely Damon. You got it, buddy. I'm on board. That. He's pro dragon use already. We saw that guy. He's got some, he's got the same to spot in fire and blood saying, yeah, let's use the dragons, man. Let's do the dragons. Come on, dragons. Let's just get it over with. <laughs> dragons, dragons. Let's go. Come on. It's like dragon envy out of the Celticars. This is one of the things that Ryan Condal talked about in an interview somewhere. And <laughs> apparently it's a running joke that the Celticars are extremely upset that nobody right realizes that they're the other valerian house mm-hmm. in west nobody cares like every time Coralise oh, goes out and proclaims that oh we're one of the two valerian houses left the baratheons and the celticars both go what do we chop liver what is this mm-hmm. we're valerians yes we're chopped liver <laughs> at least the celticars are yeah it's not fair man <laughs> we're valerians too it's our you just have an axe you could have bought that who really knows get a bunch of crabs <laughs> whatever man mm-hmm. and then we see damon being stepdad i guess to jace where after ignoring him he then says come with me i'll show you the true meaning of loyalty and we get the scene with caraxes this is something we were talking about a little bit beforehand not only does caraxes have his weird siren noise that kind of sounds like something like a raptor or something like that but so that's the scene damon is telling the Kingsguard to swear basically new oaths to Rhaenyra or else he's going to kill them on the spot. But the thing that I think is the most fascinating about it is that this is extremely reminiscent of Rob Stark and Grey Wind, where Caraxes basically like finishing Damon's sentences. He's like coming forwards and screaming at the right time and roaring when Damon wants to like for emphasis. And it's like, all right, so this is way closer than I think any of us realize because... Caraxes is basically like his hype man, which infers a level mm-hmm. of connection between the two of them that is far beyond than I think any of us really thought about. Yeah, it seems to, the evidence seems to grow that they have certain motions they can interpret like a dog. It seems to continue to be the best example that works for a real world example, that they're just so much more terrifying and large than dogs. But it does seem to be a similar sort of bond or under level of understanding that's rude, but in certain ways can be pretty, actually pretty precise. Like here. Yeah. And like, just, just be threatening. And the dragon doesn't understand exactly what's happening, but it's close enough. And yeah, it's also like reminding luke of where or jace of where power comes from mm. at least is the way damon sees it which is you come in and start giving me orders it was a tywin moment where he's like, look who's actually in charge of the military here true that's <laughs> that very when true. joffrey was like i'm in i'm the king and he's like you are but if i give an order to the military they're gonna listen to me so who's really in charge here so that that's what damon was doing he's throwing his weight around but also but it was also like you're going to need to do this too. He's, he wasn't only 
stepping over Jace, he was like, you need to learn to do this, kid. And, yeah. And might have been able to control even me here if, if you had played it right. That's <laughs> but, true, yeah. He, sh he is showing him a lesson of, yeah, you could have gotten me to back down in the council, but you didn't. because You didn't have something over me that I cared about. And Praxis is something everyone cares about. Mallory in the chat is losing her mind about how we're talking about the dragon bond and how close it is. Yeah, definitely. But I don't think it's every dragon rider. I think you're right that they've been, they've gone out of their way to make it look like Damon and Caraxes are basically the same person or close to it, mm. where they feed, they feed each other's emotions. They can act basically almost on psychic command, which is a very germ thing to do anyway. A lot of his stories have that kind of thing where with like familiars and psychic powers and stuff like that. Very, but uh, if you guys want the example of what we're talking about, Go back and watch the scene with Rob Stark and Greywind and Jamie Lannister when he's in the stockades. And then also the one where he's getting yelled at by Lord Umber, I think it is. And Greywind, both times, basically does what Rob wants without Rob having to even move. He's not giving mm -hmm. mo he's not giving hand motions. He's not giving commands. He barely, he's just staying there talking and Greywind is acting exactly how he wants. And it's one-to-one, -one, same exact thing. Yeah, totally. That's a really good catch to compare the two. And it's really similar. It's the same, like, this is why we've been in charge of the North for 8,000 years, or at least a big part of why. <laughs> we we haven't had dire wolves all this time. This is the kind of, whenever whatever form of power we've always held over everybody, we know how to use it. We've always been savvy with dominance, so to speak. And Damon understands that pretty well, even if he's maybe even heavier handed than one might think. He's always, that's, that's how he's been. He's always mm. been pretty imperious. Even with people who are his allies, he talks down to them or <laughs> finds ways to remind them that he's above them. Like with the sea snake, it's like, you can, I can talk about my brother like that. You can't, I didn't realize you had a brother for a king for a brother, things like that. Just <laughs> like, yeah, that's true. That was a good one. I'm still better than you. Even <laughs> It's always making sure that's in there. Yeah. It's a very deterministic way of looking at the world, but that again, you're right to point out like he sees murderers in everyone else, everywhere else, because he is one. And this is long been part of why he's seen Otto is so dangerous and Otto is dangerous. Sure. Probably not quite as dangerous as Damon thinks. Like, we haven't no. seen he's pretty Otto much a isn't like, he's not as, you're right, he's not as aggressive or as like, ruthless or as efficient. Like, he wasn't, he, it was, obviously this is a, lot, a little bit off topic, but Otto expecting the king, Westerling, to just go kill Rhaenyra was like, it wasn't very smooth, bro. Like, he wasn't no. very likely to do that. Like, you should have had some real killers lined up for that. Should have brawn or something. Either, like, yeah, even and that would have that plan has problems because they can't just walk into Dragonstone. But anyway, it just shows, yeah, he wasn't skillfully done anyway, you look at it, uh, or thought thought through. So he's so Damon was is right to understand the type of man Otto is, but he's maybe also right to not have taken him super seriously as at the same time. But now he's seeing, okay really did go farther than we thought they would. I don't think either, like we're, from where we're sitting, it was like, yeah, guys, you should have been more prepared for them to just steal the throne like this. Not didn't I, really have a plan. It was like, it's the opposite. The yeah. Greens had their whole strategy ready to go. They like took out their notebook. They're like, all right, so check off this. All right, cool. This is how we're going to take over the throne. Damon has that, but Rhaenyra doesn't really, kind of like Allison, doesn't really have considered thinking it through the whole way that the both of them were in denial that this would actually happen. Even though Allison's pushing for it and Rhaenyra's protecting her claim. Yeah, I think they 
I'm guessing, and this is something I talked about in the after the episode, Emma Darcy talked about it a lot, that that Rhaenyra didn't believe and Allison didn't believe that it would actually come to war, that both of them relied on that, where the other people yeah. in their life were like, absolutely not. We have to prepare for war. This is definitely going to happen. We're going to get our, screwed with our pants on if we don't do anything. And it's, so everyone else is going on behind them, getting ready. Thought they could get the other side to back down. Rhaenyra and Damon thought that their whole "we'll kill," "I'll kill the father of my children." This—that's how badass I am. That they thought that kind of message was maybe enough, along with Damon and chopping Damon's head off, being a war veteran and all that. But it's like—it's almost like they're too naive to be intimidated mm. uh, because they don't like. We said this goes back to their inexperience of war. They don't know. What, how bad it would be, how destructive it would be. Only a few people like Rhaenyra, who even she is only doing it based on what she's read. She's chosen the right sources to believe. And even she hasn't been through it personally. She's still just, the books say, this is going to be ash and bone. And there's we should really believe that. And she's right, but <laughs> there's nobody there that's actually lived through it. Only someone like Damon and the Sea Snake who fought in the Stepstones, which is like a depopulated area where they're fighting against pirates. Yeah, know, with no stakes. The, the stakes were his pride. Like, not yeah. nobody cared about was going to die there except for himself. There's hardly any innocence around. There's Yeah, there's not like, exactly. It's a totally different thing entirely. Yeah, there's no, you're right. The pride level of pride is way different because that's already we've seen how much that's driving Damon here. He's he was angry. He thought that they killed his bro. Well, he still thinks that presumably that hasn't changed. No, nobody's and, gonna convince him otherwise. Yeah, in fact, it's probably worse now because he's look now they've killed your son as well. So Rainier is gonna not exactly push the argument as much anymore. It's like yeah, maybe they did. This is how this is the kind of people they are. Maybe she's not gonna be as rational about it now. And so Damon's just already gone off half cocked full cocked he's full cocked <laughs> all the way cocked that's right ready to see the worst in them and yeah. not wrong for a lot of it and of course his own view is through his own lens of everybody else is a murderer too so that just escalates his own view of them and why yeah. he starts this yeah. council without rhaenyra even though jace tells him no you have to wait he's like, oh and speaking of the waiting for rhaenyra we talked about a little bit the birthing scene is horrific there is blood everywhere like tons of blood and sloshing and things falling on the ground sloshing it's not good <laughs> uh, whoever did the sound design on this a plus job at making me go Ooh, oh god that sounded horrible and as you were saying as every pain every feeling of pain with rhaenyra they cut to cyrax doing something we can't really see what she's doing. She's just roaring, almost like a sympathetic roaring kind of thing. Like we were talking about with Caraxes and Damon, where yet yeah, there's some sort, there's something going on here. A lot of a connection. I drew, I thought about it in terms of, again, Daenerys, that before the eggs hatch and while she's pregnant with Rago, she in her mind sees the dragons a lot, especially in her, in, in her dreams. She like sees them coming weirdly. And I think that's what they were calling at here. But it also seems to have been uh, like this intense moment that may have opened a door between them. Because we see later in the episode on the Causeway scene that Cyrax starts doing the same thing Caraxes was doing, where she starts reacting to Rhaenyra's emotions and her wants and desires in the moment. And Rhaenyra even just looks at her and goes, like, Wait, what? What do you? That's what I was thinking. Why did you do it? Yeah, she did seem a little startled. Yeah, she. 
control of herself, but the dragon can't respond to her inner discipline when she has a surge of emotion. That's what the dragon feels, not the, let me get control of myself, but the dragon feels that pump of the brakes the way that she's pumping it herself. I think it's the more intense things that maybe pass through the bond, not the little controlling mechanism or the mediating forces that your intellect would send to, to balance it out. Yeah, it's, so, it's not brand with yeah. warging. It's not skin changing, but it's close. Yeah, it's on that wavelength. Spyrax was feeling it for sure. And they wanted to, and they wanted to mirror episode two. And she was a little upset there as well. <laughs> yeah. Someone in the chat said, why isn't Cyrax grown? Because they're in the, she's in the dragon pit most of the time. The dragons don't grow in captivity. That's the downside. That's why Vermax and Arax are so small. And they're young, but the reason Drogon grew out of control, and even he's not that big compared to Vagar, is because Danny just let him go do whatever he wanted. And so they're... They're kind of like goldfish in that sense. They grow to the size of their container. If they have the entire world to, to feast on, they'll get as big as they want. And Cyrax has been kept in the dragon pit most of the time. And then uh, later in that cave. So yeah, Cyrax hasn't really grown. Bit of a bummer there. But unforced mm -hmm. error by the Targaryens there. I understand why they put them in the dragon pit. But man, does it bite in the ass here. Especially for um, when we're talking about just Vagar's enormous size. A little bit sad yeah. about that one. So it's a big dragon, <laughs> very big dragon. So the birthing scene itself is, as I said, extremely graphic. We get to the point where Rhaenyra is screaming and she reaches down and yanks the baby out of herself it, like head first. But unfortunately, the baby is dead. But if I'm sure you did too, Aziz, I zoomed in and I froze frames on to see like exactly how deformed this baby was. Are we going full? We going full tail and wings? Are we going like full dragon snout and stuff like that? And it's, no, like definitely yeah. off the faces. There was a leg missing. Yeah, that was pretty clear. The head was oh, gray yeah. and scaly a little bit. And misshapen, but I don't know. It was mis I don't know if it was misshapen in like a lizardy way. It was just misshapen. Yeah, it was gray, but that's like grayish. But that was what you would expect for her out of being dead already. Yeah. So, yeah, it wasn't that dragony. It was definitely seemed like it was just deformed. But there was maybe they just went with the Cyrax stuff to instead rather than. Yeah, interesting. I wonder if there'll be more discussion of it from the behind the scenes, if there's any, if they'll talk about it at all, if they, why they went that with it that way or what they were trying to aim for. But I see at least one person in the chat saying they saw a tail. I didn't oh, see was that. there a tail? I thought that was the umbilical cord. Maybe uh, I missed yeah, that. Yeah, I was seeing that. I thought that's what it was too, but. Yeah, not great. Baby comes out dead. Although Rhaenyra instantly just tries to bring the baby up to her breast anyway. And we see Damon walks in afterwards and sees Rhaenyra rocking back and forth, crying, obviously. And he just walks away. Not awesome stuff out of Damon. Not an emotionally available kind of guy. People in chat are saying if they're, you can see two hornlets on the back of the baby's head. Entire back covered scales. I got the scales. I didn't see the hornlets. Uh, I'm going to have to go back and try again. I tried. I didn't see those. I definitely... Someone said I saw 666 on his forehead. Oh, my God. The <laughs> devil baby. Maybe there that. was a tail. I don't know. Didn't really see it. But, yeah, Damon goes outside, and they, they again, they show the two, Rhaenyra and Damon, both kind of dealing grief in their own way. Rhaenyra goes to the Silent Sisters and starts wrapping it up. Damon's out in the beach. And I was really hoping, because we all saw the scenes from the from before the season of Damon like in the water doing the full anime, like throwing up his arms and like sitting in the waves and cursing the gods. And they went for a much more muted version where the, he just kind of dropped his head and looked incredibly despondent. But as you noted, 
definitely holding on to Dark Sister the whole time. That's his cane. Viserys had his cane he walked around with. Viserys and were relying on Dark Sister. He is just becoming more and more militant as the episode goes along. And if you think about it in terms of what's going on in his head, he, in the course of probably, it seems like a half hour, has learned that his brother's dead. Not only that, he thinks that his brother's been murdered. His wife's crown's been stolen. They're going to war. He's prepared for it. Like, they're going to lose a lot of people. And then loses his child as well. And it's, boy, they, this is all on Rhaenyra too, but boy, did they throw a lot of pressure and emotion Damon's way. You, he is not making good choices at this point. Uh, he's operating with more rage than thought yeah. in some cases here, where the version of him in the book is a little more calculating to stage. It's Rhaenyra that's a little more cautious and saying, wait, let's not just send all the dragons to war. In Fire and Blood, Damon's the one who says that. And uh, he's just almost like he's been ready for this for a while, and he can't wait to do it or... Either way, he can't wait to do it. It's not necessarily as clear what exactly is driving him most, whether it's revenge or pride or both or what mix of the two or something else. But you're right. He's just a little too ready. He's he's losing. He feels like he's losing everything. And for a guy like Damon, his reaction to that is to lash out at people. Clearly, he wants the lashing out to be at Otto and the Greens, but as we see later in the episode, it goes the other way. Oh, I forgot a bunch of Super Chats. I'm sorry. $2 from Rack9. Thank you very much. Singing Rainwald Chronicle vibes. Don't know what that is, but thank you. $2 from San Rixian. This was a while ago. Dragons and Feet. Yeah. Yeah, I did make a video about feet. That is a thing I did. And a lot of people watched it, surprisingly, to me. Happy Masquer, $5. Still no closure on my boy, Harry Harold Westerling. Absolutely not Happy Masquerader. They have ignored him in this episode. Really not sure why. Must have something big planned, because other I don't know. Yeah, we talked about this. Don't know why you'd hire Graham McTavish and keep him alive this long if it's not for a big purpose. Has to be something. Unless they're fools, and they have not really been fools so far. A sad face from Sugar Skulls. A dollar, thank you very much. And actually, we were just talking about this. $2 from Sugar Skulls. Why do you think Damon choked Rhaenyra? What the fuck? There's a few more things to get through before I think we really get to the crux of it. But I think this is, there's a real fast burn that they're pushing on Damon in this episode, like we were just talking about, where they are really throwing his emotions everywhere all at once. Actually, Emma in the chat pointed out that he's probably thinking of Lena as well and how he lost her in childbirth and how this is probably extremely traumatic for him in ways that Damon's not going to show. But the only way he's going to show is how increasingly angry and violent he gets. Because that's how he shows things, unfortunately. Yeah, it's it's important to remember how many of the characters are dealing with grief as well as the sense that they've had this the throne stolen from them. Because Damon has lost his brother and a child. And Rainier has lost the same, his or her father instead of brother, but in person, obviously. And, and then, of course, at the end... We don't see the f full extent of her reaction, but she loses another son there. And then we start off with Luke thinking he's going to lose his grandfather and then realizes he's lost his other grandfather instead. And it's all a big, important part of how these characters are, or emotions are framed and how just yeah. day to day they've been thinking about people in their lives that they're expecting to lose and having all this happen instead or in addition to it. So hell of a day. It's a crazy day. Rainier did an awful lot in one day, and then I guess she got a day or two off before they 
the pain and table thing, but <laughs> it was while well, they waited for a few lords to gather. Us, yeah. But speaking uh, of, we get the uh, the funeral scene right mm-hmm. before that. The again, we were talking we were talking about how this is like a callback to Daenerys and how this is very much the funeral pyre of Rago and and Drogo and that kind of thing. As this happens, we sir we see Sir Eric arrive. Somebody gave me a good mnemonic device for the Arik goes with Aegon, Eric doesn't. So that's how you can remember them. Whichever one is with Rhaenyra, whichever one's with Aegon is A. Just A to A. There you go. A to A. There you go. That's how you can figure it out. Yeah, no Harold Westerling. Eric gives the crown to Damon, not directly to Rhaenyra. He also swears a new blood oath. We didn't see the other two Kingsguard do it, but we assume that they did. Super and on board with Queen Rhaenyra. And after he gets the crown, we see that Damon really ponders it for a few seconds probably like 10 15 seconds just holding it while Rhaenyra's just kind of look behind him going what are you doing with that Damon what are you doing with the crown and you can see him like really staring at the Targaryen thing you can imagine there's a lot of emotions here because he wanted this for so long he wanted this crown he was furious when he lost his role as heir on some level Damon married Rhaenyra to get closer to the throne itself obviously there's emotion there but Quite clearly, there there is an amount of ambition there. And finally, the crown's in his hand. Viserys is out of the way. It's like, you, it's what happened with Aemon and Aegon last episode, where Aemon briefly considers, boy, that should have been mine. I think I could do a good job with this. But he ends up relenting and crowning her and calling her my queen. Glad we got queen. a good my queen out of this one. Yeah, I loved how his acting was particularly good there. It's obviously been great for the whole season, but the way he looked at the crown and thought about it for a minute, and then turned around and yeah, McQueened it. <laughs> that was really good. Yeah. McQueen. I like that. It's perfect because that hey, that's his descendants, so why not? He did it he did it first now, officially. Yeah, it's and it's one of those things where for Damon a lot of his person on the throne is probably not actually ruling, but chasing it. The feeling of I'm always after it. And then he finally has it in his hand and he's no, this has to go to Rhaenyra. This isn't mine. Although clearly he is still very angry and full of a lot of rage he at least recognizes this has to go to her he can't just take it and write off on Caraxes. but there's a mm-hmm. lot of dies that have been cast here many dice many castings that's true a couple more super chats happy masquerader five dollars i have a feeling westerly and Kristen will have a showdown at butcher's ball Ooh, that would be interesting if he stays alive that long so i'm shocked we didn't see him near assigned this episode absolutely agreed me and aziz have both been a little confused at Why No Herald. Didn't cover it in the after the episode either, so we're just left to guess where he is. And $10 from Misericordia. The view of Storm's End was awesome. That and the painted table lighting up had me squealing. Very excellent visuals in this episode. The new painted table, A+, love that. Also, Storm's End is a lot taller than I remember. Like the one big pillar, like going up stories into the sky. That one kind of took me by surprise, but I was like, okay, all right, I like the Storm's End. I'm not sure I remember that either. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it was I guess it was supposed to be like the big the one big tower that it's built around. Like I it, it looked very large. It just so kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, it, it was cool. It was good to see it. So actually let's speaking of the painted table, they put all the candles underneath it and it lights up from underneath. Ooh. Really cool effect. Got to see all the names throughout it. I, Stannis didn't get this tech apparently. Yeah, they lost. They they didn't realize what was going on, or he just didn't care. He didn't think it was cool enough. He's like, I don't need all this pomp. I can read. What do I need the candles underneath for? And then Danny's like team just didn't figure it out. They just didn't realize. Hey, if we put candles down here, this would be Come like all sweet. Cool. You know? yeah. That's why it didn't quite go right for them, as they didn't figure <laughs> out the candle secret. You gotta learn the painted table before you hope. <laughs> 
the conqueror the lost I mean, secrets of the painted table yeah that's Aegon. if you want to follow in Aegon's footsteps you gotta light it up man tables instructions all the things that have been lost over the centuries the secrets of how to birth eggs and the dragon gods and all this stuff and then it's just also you forgot how to use the painted table like the table is the most important of all <laughs> i also enjoy that they got out their little figurines ready to go yeah i guess every lord does have a set of these things made up of every other major house just ready to go obviously aegon would because it's dragonstone so clearly he would have planned this out these are probably aegon's little figurines i just love that they just keep bringing these things back i just love you have to imagine the props department is just having the best time it's like all right so we need like a whole set of these things they're like don't worry about it, fam. I got you. Let's <laughs> come back a few months later. And they're like, these are way more elaborate than we ever needed. Nobody's going to be able to see these. It's I did it for me, which is basically what they said about the other ones too. They're like, remember the thing where they were picking the Kingsguard and it was like, Miguel Sapatrick was like, I didn't ask for any of that. They just did it. <laughs> yeah. That's the real, they'll have their own dance of the props after the show's over when they fight over all these cool things. Oh, Ryan Connell's going to take them all. <laughs> yeah. He's going to have and some great maneuver where just some heist where it's all just gone the next <laughs> find our way to the whatever auctions those are those things are gonna be sweet or if hbo just sells them at some point that'd be nice so rainier comes in she's wearing the crown looks like viserys a little bit they have a similar hairstyle at this point where it's just like flowing down like visually i was like i think they're trying to remind me that she looks like viserys here which is part of what pisses off damon i believe he's like, oh no i married my brother no i got to marry my niece <laughs> i'm yes what have i done <laughs> the wrong one. Oh no an awkward moment rhaenyra walks up doesn't know how to rule doesn't know how to start the meeting and everyone else is just looking at her but then she goes to reyna and bayla and like, like no you guys come to the table like you're gonna be a part of this i'm like oh okay i forgot to mention one thing during the funeral scene rainis is the only one who didn't kneel and again here She's sitting back yeah. and just kind of, she gives Rhaenyra a little smile, but she's leering. You can tell from what Yves said that she's really evaluating if Rhaenyra is somebody she wants to throw in with, even though she allows her granddaughters to go forward. Okay. I also love the little moment that when Emma Darcy walks up, they grab their fingers like this and squeeze them for comfort. And that's the thing I do. Like when I'm stressed out, I will just grab two or three fingers, just squeeze them like that. It was like, hmm. oh, she's feeling a lot of stress right there. Rhaenyra is clearly showing it in little ticks, kind of like Allison did with her fingers. Uh, you know, like a lot of times yeah, people will rub yeah. their neck when they're freaking Good out ticks. or they'll grab something and squeeze onto it. Good acting hmm. in that moment. Way to go, guys. Yeah, well done. Leavable uh, human. Yes, he's a human. Weird how that happens. I thought she was a dragon. <laughs> so we hear the plan here. They need to reach out to the Vale, to Storm's End, to Winterfell, and to River Run. Those are the, the kingdoms up for grabs at this point. Obviously, they say that the Westerlands are lost. Tylen and Jason, no chance. The Reach is gone. Probably actually not gone. They probably should have thought a little bit more about this. That they underestimated how bad a reputation the High Towers have in the Reach and how much everyone else resents what they're doing. Every one of their neighbors hates the high towers. Yeah, they'll, there's a couple of, I guess if they had more time, maybe they could have gotten into more detail. But yeah, there's definitely some more nuance possible there. You're right. They could, and some allies within the reach. It's not an all or nothing kind of situation. And as what, and of course, there's things to be done about the West. There's those Greyjoys sitting right there next to them. That's a mm. possible option. Apparently nobody wants to talk to the Ironborn. They're like, fuck them. We don't, we don't care. Whatever. Yeah. Not worth it. If no one talks to them, they may let their ships do the talking. We'll see. Classic it's interesting. It's interesting time for the Ironborn because they were able to do whatever they wanted for thousands of years until Aegon the Conqueror. 
So they've been held back for only one and a little bit of change century after being able to roam free for all that time before. So they've had to go reaving outside of Westeros for over a century. Now they were like, hey, actually, maybe this is our chance to... Is it open season for the first time in a century again? Maybe it is, but maybe there'll be a little guidance or some sort of organization behind that. We'll see. So let's not forget about them, even even though they weren't mentioned. Also, no mention of the Dornish. Obviously, they're not a part of the Seven Kingdoms at this point, but they are still a force. And especially if you're going to try and mess up the Reach and the high towers in particular the dornish are the experts in that matter a little curious didn't come up they they're they're very minor in fire and blood at this point anyway so i understand why they didn't i was just wondering if they were going to do a fan drop and just be like oh what about the dornish and like ah, who cares what they do down in sunspear and they're not a part of this or something like that but for efficiency makes sense maybe they'll be jumping back in when with regards to the stepstones because that was a bit of a change Maybe that's what made it easier in Fire and Blood. I think that the Dornish are on the side of the triarchy for a while. Maybe they're not, which helped Corlys <laughs> win. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We also hear who are Rhaenyra's sworn allies, and we get the heavy hitters, the Celtigars, <laughs> the Stauntons, the, the Masseys, the Darklands, and the Bar Emmons. Yeah, the response to that is Corlys' response to her allies are, you're not winning a lot of wars with those guys. Pretty much just a bunch yeah. of crown land houses. I went through like, so about those dragons. <laughs> yeah, boy, you better get using those guys because you do not have a lot of troops coming from those houses. There are a bunch missing. Uh, I'm guessing some of these are going to end up sworn to some of the houses, like the Darklands, before they get exterminated, are a major force in the crown land. So a bunch of these are probably like sworn to them. But the uh, the Rosbys, the Stokeworths, the Sunglasses, the Bruins, the Cargyles, the Cressies, the Hearts, and the Hayfords, most of them are medium to small parts of the crown lands uh most of them end up going for rhaenyra but i assume when they need to they'll come up but just in case any of you were looking at where's the rest of them that's the rest of the crown lands <laughs> the Celticars get a lot of them actually and uh the masseys i believe from masseys hook they rule over quite a lot of people yeah y'all might remember the masseys from song of ice and fire justin masseys up there and stannis's army trying to marry asha and he's the one that gets sent to talk to the iron bank in the book version of things yeah they're that they exist kind of spot on the blackwater on blackwater bay there but yeah no great lords there the crown lands are kind of pushovers they have been for thousands of years basically whoever ruled the riverlands ruled the crown lands most of the time it was the storm lords so yeah not incorrect <laughs> that this is not an impressive list of allies not at all no not going great and then we start to see the uh, the fight breaking out between rhaenyra and daemon that daemon doesn't want to take orders from her even though he just crowned her queen mostly that he wants to go to see Grover. God help me. I keep, they're keeping the names. All the Muppet and <laughs> Sesame Street names for the, the Tullys. Grover Tully, as Damon says, the Riverlands are really the one that's up for grabs. They expect all the other lordships to go the way that, that they're probably going to go. The Vale's going to stay with Rhaenyra because she's an Aaron by blood. Winterfell's going to keep its oath because it always keeps its oath. They expect Storm's End to go with them because they're blood-related. Whoops on that one. But he says the Riverlands is the one's up for grabs, so they have to go personally. He wants to go personally to treat with Grover. And Rhaenyra's like, you made that decision without me, huh? Slow your roll there, Uncle Husband. Who is in charge here? You've put this crown on my head, and I'm still wearing it, so hold on there. She's not commit convinced she even wants to go to war yet, though... It does, from where we're sitting, it's like, you, my part Damon's got right. But we, I appreciate the effort. As a human being, you're like, you appreciate the effort to not have it become some 
mass break of bloodshed, even though that seems where it's likely to go. But yeah, they're taking some things for granted there in terms of who's going to ally with who. But they are right that personal visits are a lot more likely to bear fruit than sending ravens. That's as bad as that works out in the Storm's End case. It is generally true. That was bad luck. <laughs> but we'll talk about that more later. <laughs> yeah, and, and particularly the one they overlook is the Baratheons. Now, Rhaenyra does indicate that she knows a little bit about Boros, that he's a proud man, that the Baratheons are not easy to deal with, but she expects that because of the royal the royalness of her and her messengers that all it will take to get Boros back on board is just to basically say, hey man, your father swore to me you're going to as well. And that's pretty presumptuous, especially because I made a thread about this actually twice now, and this might be a video too at some point. The Baratheons really feel put out at this point in history. All the love of the Targaryen family has been going towards the High Towers and the Valarians, especially the Valarians. And the Baratheons are family. They're they're cousins, bastard cousins. But with Rhaenys, she is a Baratheon. Like they feel very disrespected that they get consistently forgotten during Viserys' reign and definitely now they do as well. Of course there was the problem with Chaharis and I forget, Rogar Baratheon, there was a lot of tension there. So obviously you can understand why that relationship wasn't great, but they didn't repair it in these years. And especially glaring is the fact that Boros Baratheon has four daughters. And what does Rhaenyra have? Five sons. Boy, does that seem like they should have figured this one out beforehand. And Boros is pissed about it. Yeah, Luke shows up and, you know, I can't marry one of your daughters. But I, three more. brother... My brother Aegon, or Joffrey rather, Joffrey's not married, so he could just say, jo he's the next oldest one. He could say, my, my brother Joffrey could marry one of these girls. And whoops. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Didn't think of that. <laughs> ends up being one of the primary sins of the Targaryen house, is just constantly not doing right by the Baratheons as much as they feel they should. Especially since they're the lords of the most powerful kingdom, pretty much. Like, militarily, where the Storm Lords go is usually the way the war goes. And... They are prideful, and they continue to be annoyed that they're not allowed to have dragons outside of Rainey's. Meanwhile, these Valarians, they're just a bunch of seahorse-loving shitheads out in the gullet. Like, they're not your blood. They are. But that's how the Baratheons see it. It's like, we've been yeah, disrespected they, ever since we got the Stormlands. They got Jaehaerys and Alysanne understood that. They married their firstborn son to Jocelyn. Then, yeah, you're right. They didn't keep that going. They didn't maintain that relationship that was what in the year 70 something or 60 something <laughs> so yeah. 70 years ago at this point <laughs> it's the old uh, what'd you do for me lately thing out of the baratheons nada and you understand why because they can control the valarians a lot more they can control the stormlands like the stormlands with dragons is a serious threat to the iron throne the valarians are not oh. so it makes sense tactically uh, but doesn't stop them from feeling disrespected yeah the valarian strengths is their ships and that is very vulnerable to dragons it's like you can't it's hard to, for them to turn on mm. it's hard for ships to turn on dragons like, aha we've got the upper hand now <laughs> yeah except for the there are yeah, one time, there is uh, a little bit of a spoiler there the ships do end up throwing it but yeah this uh, that tactic wouldn't work against vagar for example yeah. and this goes back to the whole thing with <laughs> Wilm blackwood and the duel that happened in front of storm's end where they just don't like rhaenyra and for some reason so she thinks ones. that they do and that is a terrible miscalculation on her part and Viserys's part to 
especially with this war is coming. We talked about this earlier about how it seems like Rhaenyra and Alicent were like, they were ready to defend themselves, but they weren't super planning for it ahead of time. This is the one they needed to plan for ahead of time. They needed to make sure the Baratheons at no point would ever switch sides. And neither one yeah. did it. Did not lock that up like they should have. You're right. It really should have made sure. And they didn't. That's an easy one, one to many, do with many, five sons. Yeah, it's one of the many mistakes in lack of preparation that they made. You point out the Greens made plenty of mistakes in preparation, but they at least did some prep preparing and took over the council, basically, things like that. The Yeah, the Rainier and Damon's faction, they just did not do much preparing other than Damon. Like, oh, I got some eggs and can they all help us <laughs> yeah. in 20 years. Yeah. If we need to feed the cannibal, <laughs> I guess that will help. Don't really know what else is going on there. And a little then too get... far ahead there, Damon. We get the accounting of the dragons at this point. We get Damon has it like routed off, ready to go. He's we have 13 dragons, they have four. We we also have the three wild dragons, name drop Vermithor and Silverwing. But Rhaenyra points out, like, your dragon's the only one that's been to war. And my kids have never been to war. I've never been to war. They've never been in a dragon battle. So it's she's not he's not she's not wrong. Like the number is deceiving because they still have Vagar. And Vagar is the force multiplier here. Yeah, that's not inconsiderable as we just saw at the end there obviously arax is pretty small but even a bigger dragon would have been humped similarly was not a contest at all the only contest was whether Eric's could get away not whether obviously there's never going to be much of a fight there but yeah just by itself vagar is huge so ah, i didn't mean it that way but ju just her presence alone counts yeah, for outweighs the equivalent of all the dragons. other dragons yeah the only one yeah. we know that can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Vagar is pretty much Caraxes because Damon's a savage. Like the rest, yeah. maybe Vermithor, maybe Silverwing, but they're riderless. Another tactical mistake there. I actually made a thread about that on Twitter like a month ago or something like that. I think this was their big, one of Rhaenyra's biggest tactical flaws was not trying to get any of her sons to ride Vermithor or Silverwing. They're sitting right mm. there. They're just about as big as Vagar. They are huge. They are fierce. I understand why she went for the dragon egg route and... She wanted to make sure her sons really seemed more Targaryen rather than strongish. I get it, but it was a bad tactical move to leave those dragons riderless, knowing that at some point Otto was going to come for you. Yeah, they showed panned over to Reyna when they talked about these riderless dragons for a second. The camera fixed on her. I noticed. Yeah, that. But, I was like, yeah, yeah they, really they, a good point. <laughs> yeah, they really could recoup some of that advantage if they did claim some of these large unclaimed dragons that would be pretty significant it seems like they need to do speaking of the Greyjoys again they need to do something like that they need to go there's only one vagar so strike in a lot of different places mm -hmm. Vagar can't possibly be there especially if they need to leave vagar defending the capital and they can just go everywhere else and they don't have to like attack they can do like the thing they did with the king's guard be like hey what side are you on my dragons are right here yeah <laughs> decide carefully and then move on and win a bunch of allies that way just intimidate them over or just remind them and allow them to save some dignity they can be like oh yeah we were we're gonna support you all along never <laughs> any doubt i'm glad for the personal visit though it really we're really honored by your presence but yeah we were you never knew you never had anything to worry about bro so th always that on would your side. be how they do that with their the conventions upholding their, their all the manners of another nobility that could have been that's one way they could plan to it doesn't sound like doesn't sound like that is what they're going to do no. but 
Not even no. a little bit. And Damon again tries to suggest that way where he's, we need to take decisive action. He's, we need to take Heron Hall. Heron Hall comes up a lot during the rest of the series. So get used yeah. to that place. Wants to steal it from Lara Strong. Quite clearly, Damon knows that it would be nothing to take it because it's never anything to take it. You can knock over Heron Hall with a broom at this point. That's simple, Simon. Yeah. <laughs> Just take Heron Hall. No big deal. As long as you got the dragons, things work out. But when mm -hmm. again shuts them down and you that, they have Matt Smith playing him in a very interesting way that as the episode goes, he continually tilts his head down and he's glaring up from his eyes and he's like putting a lot of folds into his forehead. So mm. he's, he is just getting just like in the background more and more furious. And then it only gets worse as we get to the causeway scene. Hey, we're back to that one again. <laughs> Otto shows up again with terms. Rhaenyra jumps on Cyrax and goes behind them. The biggest thing here was that Allison sent the little piece of paper from uh, from Nigeria's book that Rainier had torn out what like 10 years ago at this point maybe longer yeah longer at this point that was episode one so there was the I guess it's 20 years yeah it's been quite a while yeah because we had a 10-year jump a six-year jump we had a three-year jump and then many Munchith jumps so yeah that's a while that was a pretty cool move there on Allison's part I mean she didn't mean it cynically she really did mean like auto meant fight. it cynically though yeah, he also, but he did time it well. He was like, he once she got up in his face and threw his pin away, he's gonna throw my pin, hand pin away. I got this for you. Like emotional very, damage. Here you go. Yeah, it was very like unexpected. It was Aikido. It was like you think I'm gonna expect me to like fire back, but no, I've got this soft emotional response for you that's got nothing to do with me. It's from my daughter. Yeah, classic was, of Otto to well use his daughter's genuine emotions as a tool for himself. Just classic. Be incredible if we find out she had nothing to do with that. He just, oh, if he like, stole it? Oh, man. <laughs> it, doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like he would know about that, but still. He doesn't really understand emotions except how to use them. <laughs> the other major thing here that Damon had some really good lines. He said, I would rather feed my sons to the dragons than have them carry shields and cups for your drunken usurper cunt of a king. Great line right there. Also that he wants to, he says, I can give you more. I can give the queen our answer right now. And I stuff this letter and the hands limp cock into his throat and send them back to, <laughs> send them back to King's Landing. It's like Damon wants to kill Otto. And I think it's important to remember that he very clearly thinks that Viserys was murdered fully by Otto. So it's not just that he hates Otto. He thinks this is the killer of his brother, the murderer standing in front of him, telling him to cool his jets. So this really sends... What he's always hated and yeah. was like coming but this for is, brother. This is at another level. Damon basically loses it here. He unsheathes his sword. He's almost ready to charge. Only Rhaenyra holds him back. And, but... There's a blood fury in him at this point. There's no stopping the rage train. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. They did a lot of the similar shots to the episode two with Damon and Otto facing down there where there's a lot less at stake. It's more just, it's definitely just Damon's pride is really the only thing in play there. And <laughs> all these other factors really aren't going on at all. And of course, Rainier is on his side rather than being the one that talks him down. And obviously there's a lot in common, like sun, where Sunfire lands. I think we talked about that. Sure. Already. Yeah. But exactly um, the same shot. She also, the way she walks right through them. This yeah. Time was a real, it was a real boss move. The other time it was like, well, she's just walking past her ally. Hmm. Time she's walking right through her enemies. And they, Impressive. They're not, of course, they're not going to do anything because they're envoys and Sun and Cyrax is right there, but it still has to do it. It's still still impressive moment. yeah she doesn't flinch she's really yeah she is just not intimidated easily i think we've seen that like talking about when damon comes even when damon comes after her she's more like 
concerned about why he did it than the fact that he did it. She's like, you didn't, didn't know. know. Did she was like, she's just like rubbing her throat. Oh, that kind of hurt. But she doesn't, she's like, wow, my husband just she tried almost, to She teases like, him about it afterwards. She's, he didn't tell you? <laughs> Weird. No. Yeah. Let's, actually, let's go right, right <laughs> totally to that scene because the, the, the Causeway thing is just, mostly Damon's the highlight there. Damon, again, makes the claim that they should just have to use the dragons. Rhaenyra's, I've studied the histories. I know what happens when dragons go to war and everybody dies. And Damon's, what are you going to do? Like, they have declared war. The war is here. And then they send everyone away and they get into an argument where basically, so it goes, does the promise of war excite you? She says to Damon, accusing him of just wanting to fight somebody. He and doesn't care who. The fact that Otto's on the other side of it is enough for him to want to burn the realm down, which is probably pretty true. And then she comes back and says, he says, aren't you angry? They stole this from me. She's like, yeah, I'm angry, but should I declare war because of that? And he says, no, because it's your duty to crush rebellions. And then she brings up the song of ice and fire. And I've never seen Matt Smith look this betrayed. Yeah, it was great acting. Like, yeah. It's really, it's, he's, he was so good. The range of, he had every emotion in this episode. Like you said, betrayed, angry, sad, guilty, like murderous, total grief, caged animal thing. And then whatever was going on with the dragon Vermithor scene. I don't know what emotion that was, but it was something else. <laughs> I don't know. There may not be a word for that one. Singing Damon. Yeah. Uh, singing isn't an emotion, but yeah, ambitious. Whatever. Yeah. Just bloodthirsty Damon. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he did. You're right. It was the things to do with his brother, like his brother that's telling him something. Yeah. That's the moment he, cause it's, that's when she goes for it, when he goes for it. And he's look, he's a, at about that, you're right, it's a betrayal, I think, is the best choice of words there. And it's keeping her from focused on this bottom line of war. Screw the dreams, the dragons. Yeah. The dragons, man, we've been waiting. That line was, it's amazing. That line was one of the first lines in any of the trailers back in May. And we, we got it near the end of the last episode. That's pretty, pretty cool. Wasn't expecting it to be so far in. But we did guess... That it was it would have to do with them talking about the song of ice and fire sure. once we learned that, that was a thing it did make sense that he hadn't been told because ooh, did, ooh, there, did that there get, was no indication of it that got under and, his collar Rhaenyra okay. starts talking about it and the thing i went down i went back to find the exact moment where damon snaps and it's after Rhaenyra says viserys told me when he made me the air and that's yeah, when he like goes snap. for his throat yeah, his and he's like shoots out yeah my brother was a slave to his omens importance anything to make his feckless rule appear to have purpose so clearly damon's aware that viserys was a dreamer or talked about dreams a lot everyone seemed to know that about them that's how you can manipulate him apparently damon's not himself and this feels total betrayal that Rhaenyra is told this big underlying secret, an oath she had to swear. He didn't have to swear an oath. There was no oath there. It was just assumed he would be heir. And it's, I think that's the kind of, kind of, kind of the final straw there that after everything that he feels like he did for Viserys and the rage he's feeling at his death, it's like this one last undercut of him that Viserys was never serious about him being heir, that he didn't trust him with this. And I'm thinking that's what happened. It was just like I totally agree. Yeah. Otherwise, it does kind of come out, kind. It does come out of nowhere. I would not expect on an everyday basis Dame to go around choking Rhaenyra, but they've clearly shown that this is the most emotionally unstable they've made him the entire season, maybe his entire life. Everything happened yeah. to him today, which is not to excuse Damon. Don't choke people. Don't hurt your wife. Like terrible thing. He's in the wrong. But they wanted to at least 
make it feel understandable why he did something so extreme in this moment. Yeah, she, I don't know that she forgave him, but she didn't really have a big problem with it. She definitely didn't react like, oh my God, she didn't act like someone who had been betrayed or I think she understood. Like violence is more a part of their world. They're both like really passionate people, him so even more. And yeah, I agree. It's not an excuse, but in because in the real world, it would be pretty inexcusable. But she didn't react like that. She didn't react like, oh my God, this is, I can't forgive you. She was just like, let's move on. She didn't even talk or she didn't even really address it. Mm. She would, like we said a minute ago, she was more concerned with. That he didn't know. Bringing, what? That he didn't know. Like, How did wow, you not know this? Know. Yeah. It's a callback to him being upset that he was never named Hand. It's like, he definitely was upset that he wasn't included, that he wasn't. That he didn't like, have the Sarah's trust. You up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, that's what it was. It's like, wow, he never trusted me with his secrets this whole time. That's a big, that is a gut punch for Damon. It's not Nira's fault. No, it's <laughs> not her why, fault. Hey, don't strangle your wife, man. But I also think she, even for a second, didn't think he was going to go really far with it. You kind of get the sense that he wasn't like super choking her. So mm. not, it sounds like I'm making excuses, but she wasn't even fighting him. She was just like, what are you doing, man? Chill out. <laughs> like. It was like she was more just trying to get a hold of the situation than having any sense of panic. She wasn't worried, <laughs> despite the fact that he's choking her. She's just, I'm still in control here. Yeah. She's very unintimidated. Like, I like that about her a lot. She's super tough. She didn't even, she didn't even sit down for, pre for her birth there. That was incredibly boss. Like, yeah. And it works with the thing earlier about how Damon tried to show Jace how to rule. And so this is how you command respect. And he tries the same thing on her and it doesn't work where she just, she, I'm sure they're going to have words about this. It's going to come up later that she choked him, that he choked yeah. her, but he didn't let, he didn't, she didn't let Damon intimidate her the way that he did to the King's guard, that his right. method doesn't always work, that it only works yeah. if the person's afraid of you. And I don't think she's afraid of Damon and we'll punish him later. You might, you're right. That's a great point. And he, what's interesting about him is that he is consistently doesn't answer accusations when someone accuses him of something he does not respond to it he either fires back or just shifts the subject or whatever he does not say i didn't do that or i don't deserve this or he just doesn't respond to accusations that's his standard play it's very yeah. interesting he shows it's a very consistent part of his character how he's always on the attack even with work i'm also and wondering interesting i'm also wondering if this is a book spoiler who knows how they're going to do it but eventually Damon and Rhaenyra go through a pseudo divorce at a certain point. And I'm wondering if this is like the moment that starts it where it's, like, yeah. where it's, you hurt me, Damon. Like I can't trust you or that kind of thing. Or this is where emotionally the two of them start splitting because clearly they're splitting hard on what they're going to do with this war where Rhaenyra is preaching peace and talking about how we need to save the realm for the people and Damon's fuck the people. This is about mm -hmm. your throne. And that's the kind of thing that can tear apart any a uh, marriage that that kind very of different values yeah. like they have a very different values and also that yeah he hurt he choked her that's not going to go away even if, if she's not intimidated by him scared, yeah like that's unacceptable yeah <laughs> totally unacceptable they call it what did they call it with jaharis and allison they went through their it wasn't troubles it was something the, the quarrels yeah. yeah the quarrels they go through a quarrel through first and second quarrels yeah, yeah. Where they basically left the same. That's the thing. So they can just be like, hey, look, our grandparents had corals. We can have corals. <laughs> yeah. Really fucked up of Damon. But they put a lot of effort into making sure it made sense in the episode.
I she's just kind of prag yeah she's just like pragmatic about it she's like, yeah I married a guy who cuts heads off and murders his ex wife I gotta expect a show oh do you think she knows that Ray Royce was murdered <laughs> I have to, she has to assume right I guess she's not sure but she I don't know that she would care she I remember what she said to him at episode five anyway she's yeah just dude just carry me off kill kill yeah. <laughs> Kill, kill everyone here carry me off and marry me if that's what you want to do yeah damon's uh, not the guy kind of guy you marry and fix unfortunately you're dealing with no. the package there yeah, um, she's no i'm not trying to dampen his flame i'm trying to aim it that's <laughs> right that's basically i think that's one of the reasons that damon's so frustrated with her is that i think the two of them understood that the marriage is about that they do care for each other but that damon is a particular kind of person he's the kind of guy that you marry when you want to fight for your throne like i think that's been an understanding the last six years that if this happened damon's charging with caraxes to defend her and their ch and her children and he's you're not letting me do the thing that we agreed we're gonna do even though she has good reasons if you married a sword why don't you use your sword yeah, yeah. yeah. If, the dragon i, I can dragon. imagine with everything lumped onto it that was incredibly frustrating for him yeah you're probably right so we get to Corlys's back. He's back in the saddle. He's using mm -hmm. a cane, shades of, of Viserys. A lot of canes being used in this one. He finally, oh, we kind of skipped over this. Him and Rhaenys have this big conversation. And after he learns that Vayman died for ambition, Corlys is like, I'm done with ambition. It's not worth it. It's killed our kids. It's killed my brother. Like, I'm done. And Rhaenys actually turns him around and says, we can't back down. We can't have a quiet life. The die is cast at this point. We're in this war no matter what. The only way to protect our grandkids and Driftmark going forward is we have to back Rhaenyra. And Coralie says, you're always right, Eve mm -hmm. Best. Why are you always right? Aren't you Eve Best and your rightness? I was I thought it was really interesting that it was Vayman. That was the thing that really got him. He's, I'm done. I lost my brother to ambition. I can't do this anymore. Yeah, I think he may have already been feeling that way. And that was just like got him started on the topic. But yeah, it did seem... Also, he didn't seem very surprised, and he also didn't seem like, oh, he's, ah, uh, of course he did. <laughs> he does have a big mouth. That's the same one that was yelling about Damon at, at the Stepstones about them mm -hmm. accusing him of mutiny. He's like, brother, shut up. That's mutiny. So he's always been like that. But yeah, it was, he had a lot of time to wait up there, sick and wounded, to think about all that, to reflect. And Six years he left Rainey's, which... Yeah. She says with a lot of betrayal, I actually, the line that she said was really good. He said, I had no other place to turn. I lost everything. And she fires back. We lost Coralie's. Lost. Yeah. And it's like, really yeah, he really was a shithead right there. You're supposed to go through that with your wife, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really true. Not great. But Coralie steps up. He goes back to the council. He confirms that they're on Rhaenyra's side the whole way. And as you talked about, that he has closed the Stepstones, fully conquered, left a garrison. They own the Narrow Sea. They have the mightiest navy. They're expecting to smash apart the, the Lannisters. And it's like, at this point, this is the high point before the fall. It's like, all right, things are going good. They got a plan. They're going to go get the Starks. They might get the Tullys. They're going to go get the Aarons and the Baratheons. They have Coralies. They have Rhaenys. All right. I'm feeling good about Team Black here. And then, uh, yeah, classic maneuver. Just like I said, where they gave Luke a lot of characterization only to kill him. They only raise your hopes to dash them. I think the moment I that, that I knew it was going to happen, and I still didn't want to, was when Rhaenys steps forward and says, oh, don't worry, I'll close the gullet. I'll go flying out with Maylis. I was like, no, no, don't do that. I'm supposed to go to Storm's End to talk to the Baratheons. And I think this is Rhaenyra's 
biggest mistake and the one that really yeah. throws things into chaos. It's the Jace suggests that they ha they should go him and Luke on Dragonback to go deliver the messages and act as envoys to get the allies. And boy, was that a terrible idea. Not, not, not only because of what happens, just like on its face of it. What a bad idea. Yeah, if someone had suggested that instead, someone should have had that idea. Like, hey, what about me? I could, like, what about her? Shouldn't she do that? And, oh, yeah, that's the... <laughs> Before you do the thing with the gullet, just head down to Storm's End. They literally worship you. They think you're the queen who never was. Like, they toast your name. Go make sure Boros is on our side. And this is Rhaenyra's overconfidence that she literally uh... does send Jace. She sends Luke to Storm's End. The implication is that she thinks it's the easy job. She thinks it'll be easier than going to the Vale and to the Winterfell. She gives that to Jay. She's like, Luke, you can handle this. No big deal. And the explanation, but boy, is it an oversight on her part. These kids should never have gone because they're kids. They, If anything bad comes up, like they're not going to be able to solve it because they don't have the skills. They haven't been taught to do this. They're not diplomats. They haven't held court or anything like that. This is why you don't send them. If anything goes wrong, boy, you better hope that those guys just instantly say, you know what? You're right. My grandfather or my father did swear an oath. <laughs> I'm on board. Team Rainier all the way. If they go, I don't know about this one. I got a pretty good letter from Otto Hightower. There's going to be sitting there just going, oh, that sucks. Oh, that sucks. That's kind of it. <laughs> yeah. I don't mind sending Jace as much. He seems serious and capable. I think Luke, like they keep cons they consistently showed that Luke was a little soft isn't the right word because that's mean, but maybe, but definitely not cut out for this sort of thing. And I definitely agree with you that they took Storm's End for granted in a number of ways. And even if sending Luke wasn't a mistake, sending Rainey's would have been better. Even. Yeah. No matter what you think sure. of Boros, <laughs> if Boros is your best friend, you have her, send her. Not to mention, we earlier mentioned the overlooked Joffrey marriage option to one of the daughters that... That was yeah. the part that was a little crazy to me. That So, Rhaenyra gives them orders to go as envoys, not as warriors. She gives them letters, tells them to go out. Luke gets the storm end. Aemon's already beaten them there. And Boros can't read, which I thought was a fun thing that they kept going. The maester has to go up and read the letter and whisper it to Boros. Didn't look like looked like a fairly long letter. The maester wasn't talking that long, but the message that gets communicated to Boros is that to remind him of his oath, and as Rhaenyra said, to remind him what happens if he does not do anything. And Boros rightly says, this is all you got? She didn't even, she didn't offer a marriage pact with Joffrey or Viserys or Aegon. And you know what? There's no carrot. Boros there. is right. That was a crazy thing to do. And especially not to tell Luke God help him. If worse comes the worse, offer Joffrey. Like, it'll be years before it happens. We need the alliance. You need to be able to do this. And the only question I had there was, do you think the maester screwed them? Did he not read oh, yeah. the whole letter? I wondered about that. I don't think they gave much evidence of that here. It would be, like, a little hard to set that up. I did wonder about that from the source original from Fire and Blood, whether that was possible, because, yeah, it did, the way it plays out a little differently, the way it's described. They left a little more room for it, and the book but that's a little too convoluted here the way they mm. portrayed it i think for that in, in this spot but yeah it's it is really funny i like how they kept that they kept a lot of the exact dialogue and some of the painted table scenes and from the scene in particular with that and uh, showed the four storms the daughters of yeah. lord boros that was cool they're all a little more important than people might think there's at least one more of them will be we'll see <laughs> how they play that and i guess it I'm guessing there's no conspiracy there because it does square with what Rhaenyra said earlier that she didn't think she had to do anything 
to get Boros to do it. Her expectation was he's going to throw you a feast when you show up. He's going to be so happy yeah. to see you. No big deal. I don't need to throw. I don't even need to give you like a backup plan. There's no need. Boros will never betray me, which is, yeah, as we talked about at length, a huge mistake there. Right. And Jace actually, <laughs> someone in the chat said that, yes, Jace actually does get negotiate marriage packs on his way. So he, Vail, yeah, yeah. Luke is just in over his head. He never should have gone. Too young, not. Yeah, he said it himself. He doesn't want to be a lord. No. Oh, two super chats I missed. Callista Cross, five dollars. Hey Aziz, happy to see you both live stream together. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's always a good time to hang out with Aziz and talk some Song of Ice and Fire. And twenty dollars from Maura Lee, just the love of show and support. Interesting episode. Wow, definitely interesting. And I think we're gonna get mm. to the most interesting part here, and that is Aim and Luke. Woof, woof. Angry girl, angry girl. That is that that scene. This whole scene goes a little crazy because, as far as fire and blood is concerned. Luke's death is that Aemon is basically a mad dog for him, that he just shows up and he's trying to kill him as soon as he walks in. And as soon as he walks out the door, he's on Vagar and he just wants to kill the kid for taking out his eye. But the what we get in the episode is actually that Aemon in no way was trying to kill him. He wants to take out his eye. I'm not saying he had good intentions for Luke valarian he wanted him to take out his eye with a dagger like personally do it what a crazy ask and he definitely yeah. wants to hurt him but he's not trying to kill him yeah it's definitely very nuanced because you're right he's he seems to have a very hardline rule you took my eye i want your eye i want you to feel what I, exactly what i'm feeling i want you to go through the life the way i go through life there's some kind of sense of balance there that he's aiming for it would not be achieved by straight up killing him but he's also there's also this element of this teenager just getting a fast car for the first time or a motorbike or something like an off-road vehicle that they really shouldn't have except it's way bigger than that and he's just messing around trying to bully yeah. his younger nephew and i don't i think that's all he was trying to do i think he was just trying to bully him and intimidate him he did he did i don't know that Eamon even thought that a war would break out at this point maybe he does now there's, there's a lot of things going through his head he, he's not since he's not a total psycho like the book version seems to be he's realizing what this means what has happened he's like i just killed, effectively killed an envoy i'm a kinslayer probably there's probably no turning back now this is probably definitely going to be a war at this point they're going to want revenge or whatever so and also but he also seemed to maybe feel some guilt there like his face showed maybe remorse or sadness not entirely clear but did you see that or oh yeah or... totally and they talked about this after the episode now some people in chat are talking about oh they don't believe that Eamon wasn't trying to kill him ryan comble in the after the episode says this that he was bullying him he was chasing him he wanted him that he wanted luke to feel like he had no choice but Eamon was not trying to kill him it was like the last vestiges of the little boy in Eamon. And you, I forget his last name, says that sure. he feels hatred for Luke, but it's subconscious versus conscious. And what he ends up doing is this domino effect that he is trying to terrify Luke. He is trying to bully him. He's, he's chasing him around, but he at no point is trying to get Vagar to kill him. He just wants to scare Luke. But it's one of those things that you see in a lot of like TV shows and movies and stuff like that. It's, Why'd you bring a gun? What's well, I just wanted to scare him. It's, oh, you did bring a gun though. Like, surely yeah. it came to your attention that you may accidentally shoot the gun, or in this case, shoot Vagar at Luke. So I think there's definitely of two minds there, that he consciously, 
he knows he can't kill Luke. He knows it's going to start a war that his mother has said she doesn't want. And he is good boy Eamon and he doesn't want to disagree with his mother. But on the other side of him, he's just so angry after all these years at Luke in particular. Yeah, you're right. There is that anger. And that gets back to what we were discussing with the dragons feeling the intenser subconscious emotions without the nuance that goes behind them or without the restraint that's included with that. So I think Vagar maybe reads this as more serious. It doesn't see it as taunting or bullying. And then neither does Arax. And then Arax being a dragon right. back. Fights for its and life. Then Vagar, and then Vagar is just in it at that point. Then Aemond has no control yeah so both of them were it's not luke's fault at all Amond had no idea what he was doing it wasn't like a lot of this generation and the previous generation they weren't educated even on their dragons like he says i studied philosophy and history and the blade <laughs> but yeah <laughs> but he wasn't like taught all that well about dragon riding apparently because the dragon keepers taught them some things but I don't know. They never handled Vagar lived elsewhere. No, I guess some of these, either he didn't listen to these lessons or he didn't get them because he didn't grow up with the dragon. He didn't get one until he was older or some combination of those two things or his rage overwhelmed that. But I think the most interesting part is idea that the dragon pick, picks up on that subconscious yeah. vibe and that's that drives a lot of this. I think that's I think that's exactly right. And they put a lot of effort into this episode to making sure that we understood that the dragons react to their riders, especially their strong emotions. Damon's basically able to to control Caraxes with his emotions at this point, but Rhaenyra is like surprised at how much Cyrax does it to her. And Vagar is I think feeling the subconscious rage that Aemon has that one parts of him definitely wants to kill Luke and the other part definitely knows he can't but Vagar is listening to the emotional side the anger that he's feeling the joy that he's having as he's trying to attack him and Arax and I think that's what Vagar really feeds off of they also had the thing like you said where Arax blew some fire at Vagar and that pissed her off but I think she's definitely feeling the she's not listening to Eamon's brain she's listening to his heart and his art and his heart says kill him and that's why she does it yeah that's a great way to put it yeah that she's listening to his wants and not his thoughts yeah thoughts. yeah which makes it even more impressive that uh, Damon's basically able to manipulate Caraxes like he's controlling him that's some experience <laughs> yeah but also that Vagar is a very willful powerful dragon like even Viserys was scared of Balerion even though they're that's his dragon he's eh, i didn't like Balerion very much that dragon was a little scary and uh, he talked about that i think like episode one that like it's an illusion that they control the dragons that they don't really and i think you yeah. see that here they are they have minds of their own yeah they just have a lot of times they just play with it aren't a problem because if you are have an ordered mind, a disciplined mind. If you're not having a lot of chaotic thoughts, it'll probably be okay. Given this model that we're outlining here anyway. Mm. Elena never has, seems to have had big problems with Vagar because she led a peaceful life. Even though she wanted to not lead a peaceful life, she never did not lead a peaceful life. So she just got to go around and show Vagar off and do air shows and things like that. So that was, Vagar was probably fine with that. So Vagar mm. probably wasn't like all aggressive and it was harder to get her to come violent. She hadn't been so for so long. But now she's had... Aemond years with his anger, <laughs> his unsettled, unresolved feelings there. All this, him knowing that his family is heading towards the brink, heading towards sure. conflict, which will give him a lot of anxiety or at least 
them on edge and Vagar would feel that too, which she wouldn't have felt with Lena or think, maybe with any rider she's ever had before. Yeah. And I think Lena's a great point because Vagar won't listen to Eamon. And I think maybe it's like an amount of respect for him because even when Lena is telling Vagar to murder her, to Horus and breathe fire on her, Vagar goes through with it, even though she knows what it's doing and she understands it's what Lena really wants. She's not listening to Aemond. And I think that, and I think, again, going back to the idea of Caraxes, I think this really shows what the, that Vagar is a destructive force, but she's really a chaotic one at this point. And I wonder how much of what she does later in the, in Fire and Blood, particularly with Aemon, he just, okay, so book spoilers, not sure how they're going to depict this, but he basically goes on a, a giant killing spree throughout the Riverlands. And you wonder, looking at this scene, how much of that he's in control of at a certain point. If Vagar is just doing it and feeding on his id rather than him really intending to do that. Yeah, like it's partly he does, but he's not necessarily fully picking his targets. He's just the way they can blend the chaos of his. Because, yeah, it doesn't seem to, it's, it always read odd, not odd, but very thoughtless, which works for psycho version of Eamon, more thoughtful, intelligent, nuanced version of Eamon that might not work as well. Or maybe he just descends into madness. That's maybe. another thing that could happen. It just manifests more, something like that. There's something else that could happen. Maybe he takes a blow to the head. Maybe Alice <laughs> Rivers messes him up. Who knows? <laughs> old God's getting his head at Heron Hall or something like that. Yeah, something changes him. That sapphire is infected. It's It's got a soul and it's got a devil. Oh yeah, the sapphire <laughs> too. That was a really cool effect. That looked awesome. Didn't it look vaguely serpentine? There was yeah. a, a big hint of blue mm -hmm. pupil in there, but also it was like White Walker vibe with Dragon vibe. That was, yeah, it was awesome. That was, that did not disappoint. I was like, oh, we get to, because we knew we were going to get to see it from the trailer. You could, he's like pulling it off. Yeah. Oh, oh, there it is. Oh, uh, I thought they were going to go with the eye patch the great. whole time. I was like, maybe they just didn't bother with it. Like they didn't bother with the purple contacts for most of the Targaryens, but no, they spent the money on this one. They they gave him his sapphire eye. Old Sinian yeah, star eyes, as it were. There. Yeah. And the Viserion, yeah. It also... V-dragons. Gotta watch out for those V-dragons. That's true. So many of them. It also goes, goes back to, I think, what Ryan Conville said in the after the episode, that he... That, that this is the last vestiges of a little boy in Aemon. I think that makes sense because... A while Aemond is a character who has prepared for war and he studied the histories and philosophy and the sword and he beat up Kristen Cole in the training yard for six years straight getting ready to fight Luke. It's a very different thing to think you want something and then to actually do it. Like Aemond's never killed anybody before as far as we know. He's never lit kill, anybody yeah. on fire. He's never swung a sword really to kill. And now he's having to live with the consequences of that. And... This could be the breaking point for him, but also, as we talked about, he knows consciously, like, this was all fun and games. There's always a way back. Like, Aegon crowned himself. He can uncrown himself. Maybe Rhaenyra can surrender. He's, oh, shit, I didn't mean to do this. He wants to yeah. hurt Luke, but he doesn't want to start the war. And I think that's the reason that he's on Vagar screaming no, and he starts, looks like he's crying a little bit. He's, oh, we're all screwed now. I can't believe that just happened. It did kind of look like he was crying. It's ambiguous because there's already so much water in his face from the storm, but he did have the kind of face that could be contorted as if it's crying. And yeah, you're right, it is like the kill the boy recurring theme that comes up in, in the Song of Ice and Fire that is happening here in a very tragic way, very harsh. And I lost what I was going to say here. Right, feeling. as well, that maybe, oh yeah, when we're talking about what could like push him 
towards madness a bit, it might be, yeah, the weight of realizing that all this happening because of him, or could be, he could take some of that to heart. If it wasn't for me, maybe this war would have been avoided. Sure. He's the one that did the thing that truly couldn't forgiven at least it looks that way um, if they knew it was an accident it might be different but there's no way they'll know and they would never believe him absolutely not. his own family might not believe him when he's like, i really didn't mean to they're like yeah sure and also we know that he's i don't think he was prepared to do this because he had the opportunity to do this to aegon who he legitimately hates and thinks is a shithead and he could have usurped the throne right there and taken it for himself and aemon couldn't bring himself to do it he hates Luke, but I think he hates his brother even more because he knows that a Aegon was the ringleader behind all the bullying that went on with him. And he knows exactly who he is and how bad a king he is. And he really was tempted in that moment. And he can't. I can't do it. It's not the right thing to do, even though my, even though emotionally I feel like I want to. And yeah, this is, is going to be a real turning point for, for Aemon. And I wonder how much of it is going to be him playing a character from here on out. Because he's clearly conflicted. But book... Fire and Blood Amon is not conflicted by what he's doing. He is truly just a murdering psychopath. But that doesn't seem to be yeah. who he is here. Are we going to slowly move into that? Or is it just going to be a different characterization all the way through, I wonder? Or is it just going to be like so far? Because a lot of the things he's done so far, you could see how the histories would say. Like the history could easily just say this mm -hmm. is, he did this. It doesn't have to be the show version. is allowed to be more nuanced because no one else is a witness to what happened. Sure. But the, but the TV cameras. And so it would be, it works that the maesterly version says Aemon was aiming to kill him. Yeah. That, that fit. So to this point, it's not. He'll never say he didn't want to. He's going to have to say I meant to. Because yeah, it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's true. He could just lean into it. Be like, yeah, I'll be the monster they think I am. And make them think I'm this dangerous. Yeah, fully just, yep. Yeah, I did it. <laughs> he definitely seems to be cosplaying Damon at least. So. There's definitely a sense that he's trying to be somebody that he's not underneath. Or is he cosplaying Damon and Euron? Or yeah, he's doing both like... a little bit at the same time. He's doing a lot of cosplays. It's a very nuanced <laughs> cosplay that he's pulling off. Euron and a little White um, Walker throw in with the eyeball there. <laughs> it will be interesting to see where this goes in the future. I also wonder, this is a long-term thing, if he finds out about Laris and Allison. Because there is that moment mm. in Fire and Blood where I'm not going to drop the exact spoiler to it, but Damon, but Eamon basically says, I don't trust Lara Strong. I don't think he's on our side. I think he's doing something strange. And I'm wondering if the reason is that he finds out about the foot thing in the way that he's blackmailing his mother. Because it seems like there's a lot of devotion here between him and Allison. Like he really is a mama's boy. And that would be the kind of thing that yeah. would probably make him change his mind on Laris. Interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that at all. That's a dynamic I hadn't considered. Yeah, you wonder what that would mean to him. Not anything good. It would explain what he oh, does. Oh, probably not anything good. Especially with Laris being the one to maybe keep Aegon hidden and all that later. Yeah. They're all going to be so separated. That's going to be interesting, too. They might get the wrong idea about each other's actions when they're not together to see and mm -hmm. discuss it all out. And Aemon is out in the field, and Allison is still at King's Landing, and that will change their dynamic as well. That was one of those things. I'm really wondering about that with Kristen Cole. When he's, yeah, definitely. When, when he's like out there, whether he changes after he's promoted. There's definitely going to be a real sense as the story goes on that it's something I saw, I've saw. i seen people like complaining about. It's like, oh, it's all happenstance and misunderstandings and stuff like that. That's basically the story of the Dance of the Dragons. It's a lot of misunderstandings <laughs> yeah. and people in the wrong place at the wrong time. And the fact that they're, they do get spread apart and they can't talk to each other really ends up being what drives the dance and a few people really pulling the strings to to make sure it happens man. like laris yeah 
Yeah, Laris and Otto for years being like, this, the realm's going to go to war, and we don't do this, things like that. And, of course, the initial sending of Alicent to hook up with Comfort Viserys was probably this, the, if, if you could undo one thing to stop all this, that might be the one. <laughs> There's a lot of off-ramps on this one. <laughs> There are a lot of off-ramps, but like, that might be the simplest, cleanest. Just don't, Alicent and Viserys are never a thing. And it's all, it all just maybe just works itself out. Maybe not. <laughs> I guess some sort of civil, dragon civil war was inevitable, perhaps, because of their internal actors and problematic methods of ruling and the nature of dragons and royalty and, yeah, in history. <laughs> things, <laughs> all that things stuff. Get all of it. They get crazy real fast. And of course, the end of the episode, Damon walks in to the the painted table room, I guess, Great Hall, whatever, of Dragonstone, tells Rhaenyra that Luke is dead. And we see her kind of turn around with the fire burning behind her. And actually, I use that image for the thumbnail for this one. And there's a much harder look on her face than we've seen from Millie Alcock or Emma Darcy this entire time. There's a real sense of fury and what Emma Darcy had to say after the episode was, what they said was, it moves the goalposts for suffering. You lost your parents, your lover, you think grief. Losing Luke tells her that she knows nothing of grief. And that's the feeling there. And there's been a lot of talk. Whoa, what happened to your lights? Oh, you have the timing they're thing. A, that's they're, right. They're that's... on a timer, yeah. They went green. It's ominous. Oh it's my like, oh, God, we went too. green. No. <laughs> Let me fix um, that. There's something coming up probably in season two, probably episode one called Blood and Cheese. If you want to know what it is, look it up. There's a lot of talk about if Rhaenyra actually ordered it or if Damon did it on his own. And boy, with that look that Rhaenyra threw to the camera and the way the season ends, I am not sure it was just Damon anymore. Yeah, and just, and Mazaria's role in it all is really interesting too, because she's already got like a thing going with Otto, and it might look to her like Otto came after her right away instead right. of it being, she didn't, she doesn't necessarily know that it's Laris doing it on Allison's behalf. It's Zaria maybe hooked in enough to have figured out the difference, but it might just look like Otto's coming right for her. So she's got a, she might be quick to back on with Team Damon, Team Rhaenyra with that. So yeah. I'm super curious as well. Who's going to be culpable for this extremely heinous act? The thing happens. that happens that we're all going to hate. I hate yeah, we're gonna, so much. We're going to hate it. The one, another like morbid curiosity I have with it is what it's going to do to Helena, the dreamer. What's that going to, if she's, first of all, is she going to see it coming? Which she I must see it coming. Yes. Got to see it coming. You got to, we, we were already looking for it. We were like, is the beast beneath the board? Is that it? Oh, like, yeah. We're ready for that to be it. We're like, that's a little obscure, but I could see the beast, the boards. That that's the thing with it. dreams. They can fit a lot of things. Yeah. Exactly. You got, you, it's hard to dismiss things out of hand. So we were open to that. Now we're like, okay, well, that was it's probably, it could be something else. Probably, yeah. yeah. It could be something else. So we'll see, but we're sure, surely not done with Helena's dreams. Maybe we only get one or two more, but I think we get several more, I'm guessing. And But I still, I think she still continues to be a Cassandra figure like or patch face figure where they just yeah. don't listen to her. Maybe they'll listen to... I wonder if they'll start listening to her after this, after Blood and Cheese, if somebody finally listens and goes, oh, you can see oh, things. Oh, you saw that coming. Oh, my God. We should have been listening this all along. I'm guessing Aegon's <laughs> out to lunch. Allison or Aemon are, are my guesses on who figured it out. But uh, yeah, there's a lot to look forward to. We got a lot of name drops for where we're going to go next season. We're going to see the Vale of Aaron again. We're going to see Winterfell. 
Damon's going to the Riverlands to go treat with the lads and Grover Tully. And I think that's one thing that I think people misunderstood about House of the Dragon season one. This is a season long prologue. Things are just getting started. Like they are now going to expand locations drastically. All the kingdoms are going to get involved. We heard about Cregan's Stark. We heard about the, well, actually it's a lady of the veil at this point. I believe that's in charge. Grover Tully, DJ. the, oh yeah, the, the Blackwoods and Brackens that we saw are all coming back. They've been laying this all out and now the show is really starting <laughs> and it's like a, like a final fantasy level of intro to this where it's like it's we're 10 hours in and the story just started and it's going to kick off in a huge way let's imagine if we had just stayed at winterfell for all of season one uh, yeah. like john snow goes for the wall at the end of season one and the, like the king's party goes back down imagine like that instead or like they stayed there for t 10 or 20 years instead of <laughs> instead of anything like, exactly it's very different it's super different it's funny thing about a time jump it's hard to do because no one likes them. You're not like, yeah, time jump. Plus, oh, you, it's what you have to do. It's like, we got to do a time jump, folks. Like, they're writing it out and they're like, we're going to do a second time jump. Like, oh, damn. Oh, no, three time jumps. Oh, no, oh, what have we done? What if we do one of them so it's really small and people will barely notice that one? So maybe it'll really only be like two time jumps. And they'll do the big one first or the smaller. The second one seems smaller by comparison. <laughs> and yeah, they do all these things because unless you're like in a time travel show, yeah, you, no one looks forward <laughs> to that. No one's, yes, time jump. So, that's it's cool that we're past that it was the same thing with a couple other shows that to get to where they wanted to be they had to do some wonky stuff move it all around or to do time jumps or to do parallel storytelling where you're doing multiple timelines at once like westworld oh yeah multiple timelines at the same time like the witcher season one which didn't do that in season two that was yeah, really like they... confusing as someone that hadn't read those books i was like what's happening yeah, exactly. And uh, so the, there's a lot of different shows where season one was their setup. Also, the Dragon was really strong even during this setup phase, which is bodes well. On the <laughs> other hand, it's going to be very different. It's going to be a very different style. There, there's going to oh, be yeah. a lot less court intrigue and less family drama and the conflict. There'll still be plenty of conflict, which is the most important element probably. But it'll be, and a lot of it will be personal, like what we're making decisions that involve lots of lives rather than just their personal pride and their emotions their decisions will have a lot bigger ripple effects across the rest westeros as you said because there'll be darks and lannisters and <laughs> they're all coming and, uh, whoever else stormlanders whoever else reach veilman whoever else is going to be involved yeah it's going to be it's pretty exciting to think about how much more is coming and if we guessed maybe there was a chance they would show ace landing at winterfell just to be like starks y'all starks but i think they're saving that for hype for season yeah. two obviously trailers, they are yeah season two trailers yeah we'll start with they're gonna show winterfell totally. you're gonna see a top knot on a stark looking guy you're gonna see ice everyone's gonna lose their mind might even say pact of ice and fire be like excuse me pact of what what yeah. now hello hello oh man if that comes back if the suggestion that Torin and aegon made a pact when he surrendered if that comes up that would be really good synergy for how they started at episode one they go right back to it in episode in season two episode one. Ooh, that'd be good pretty cool that'd we be could, pretty good they should be hiring us as consultants too <laughs> hey we're available now the season's over we don't got shit to do yeah we got plenty of time i uh, guess it sounds like they're already working on it but yeah obviously they haven't been at it for super long but they are at it yeah that's good and i think this is going to be a lot more the game of thrones everybody knows i think house of the dragon probably unfairly trained the new audience 
to think that every episode is going to be like six months, four years, five years in between. It's going to be like day to day mm -hmm. now. It's going to be very much yeah. what you're used to, which I'm best, especially because while I think the biggest criticism for season one is that they, I talked about this, that they gave Luke characterization just to kill him and that happened five times and it happened a lot because they were skipping around so a lot these secondary and minor characters that people love didn't really get the love that you wanted because there wasn't time there's going to be time for it now we're talking bloody ben we're talking black alley we're talking red rob rivers we're talking the lads roddy the ruin all these guys they're going to have the time now to explore them before they abruptly kill them off because everybody dies in the dance of the dragons but yeah everybody does yeah but yeah but you're right those there's gonna be a lot of characters people are gonna i can't wait to see them like i'm excited for the dragon seeds come on Ooh, that's gonna yeah. be, it's gonna be so cool the battle of the gullet like whoa um, unbelievable the effects and the just the trauma afterwards and all the things it sets up and the conversations of that's what war is like imagine <laughs> that being your first battle because that's what it's going to be like yeah for someone like me to be like that's your first ever battle for him i guess it's a little different <laughs> but for Dulls and hammer and Ulf and the people who actually come back from it oh man the chaos of the claiming of the dragons episode is just going to be amazing so many people die trying to do that an absurd amount of people die trying to jump on those dragon back. It's going to be great. They're going to have fun with that. They're going to be like, Ooh, <laughs> we're allowed to get crazy with this. This is like in the text. We don't have to like play this up for effect. It's already wild and gory and fun. Yeah, they're going to have some hound, some people losing limbs, some baked individuals. <laughs> yeah, that's it's going to be fun. <laughs> it should be a really good one. And uh, I think somebody in the chat made this point that they turned 30 pages of fire and blood into an entire season which is really impressive. Now we have 200 pages to go for three seasons. So they are going to be dense. So it was at the, the end of episode eight, right? When Viserys yeah. goes to sleep for the last time. Fire and Blood, I counted it. It's 47 sentences. I'm going to sleep for it declares the next section the dying of the dragons so it's like that's how much time before it basically goes into the war yeah so yeah they did they got two episodes out of that incredible but it wasn't it didn't feel stretched out it was good yeah. it was like yeah it was just it was treated well and hit the emotional beats extremely well and anything they were taking those sentences and they were just, just stretching them out to put them on the page because there was not a lot there like episode one was five sentences i think that was it and they turned that into yeah. a pretty incredible opening to the series i think you can understand why george is said in his blog that they he thinks they need another season they might not be wrong he might not be wrong on that one although to be fair a lot of those pages are whiffle are waffling about which version is true they don't have to do that they don't have true. to tell three versions of the same story or four versions in some cases so it's going to be whatever the page count is cut it in a third and that's going to be the actual length of the rest of the series but it's still quite a lot so you can understand why they george wants them to maybe push for another season maybe get into the regency that kind of thing and also we need room for things like appearances by every actor's favorite pop star to <laughs> get in there <laughs> it's just gonna be ed sheeran over again yeah i actually didn't mind that scene i thought it was fine but was but it is, it is yeah it was fine like fine he acted okay it was like the other dialogue was pretty good people only complain because so. they didn't recognize the band the rest of the band members of coldplay when they were in the red wedding they just recognized that sheer and that was of, the problem there were a lot of musicians did cameos over the years in that show so many. yeah and also it's always sunny like rob McElhaney and i think a couple other of the others showed up during this nobody recognized them Noah Syndergaard from the, he's no longer a new york met but he was a met at the time and the guys from mastodon were like 
wildlings <laughs> that turned into white walkers i think it's that people into... just don't like ed sheeran and i think that was the problem <laughs> they recognized <laughs> him they knew who he was and they were like oh i hate that it's they... like how twitter blows up at certain decisions that really don't affect the plot they're just they don't like certain characterizations it's, oh this character would never have done this like, the story is the same though like, <laughs> it's just they added some flavor yeah in some cases it does change it but like so i'm referring to the times when it doesn't <laughs> sure people complain about that anyway rip Aegon's a mustache oh my god i'm so happy they didn't put that in the stupid crazy little mustache that he had in uh, the artwork oh, actually viserys yeah, too like, they got rid of his mustache that big bushy thing stash. it did not look good it was like a it was like a joe magician level of mustache not a good look it doesn't work also i love that uh, people were freaking out oh i want to see sunfire fly around the dragon bed i was like all right you saw melee fly around it it's like oh no they went for spectacle that was the whole reason for the dragon pit thing i'm like isn't sunfire flying around in the sky spectacle like it's the same thing right it's totally exactly it's It's identical dragon (laughs) flying around and it looks cool that's the point of both of them whichever one you choose is fine i probably just got a bunch of people mad at me i didn't i did not care to see we're gonna see sunfire in all his glory next season doing crazy things so don't worry that you missed out on him flying around on the dragon pit. Like, that's the low point of Sunfire's life. Sunfire gonna have some action. Oh, sure. <laughs> is he ever? Oh, good question from Guilty Undertaker. Is Patty Considine winning that Emmy? Yes. Even if HBO wasn't gonna buy it for him. Yes, he is. <laughs> I think a lot, of, a lot of the groundwork that often goes into an award seems to have been there. Like, the social media push that just... The fact that it was legitimately great yeah <laughs> yeah a lot of that stuff like he he seems to, there seems to be like a lifetime achievement vibe that he deserves it mm. as well it feels like that's part of it this is like the culmination of a great career like he's still got lots more to go but like this is the time to really acknowledge his this big milestone for him yeah the I don't role keep up of with a lifetime well basically but... Yeah, I, I don't know much about the, I don't keep up with the award shows very much, but if you ask me, he deserves it. And also the fact that a lot of the, who the awards go to comes down to money and lobbying and HBO's got deep pockets. So I would expect yeah. no matter what, it's probably going to win a bunch of awards, but I think they, he definitely will probably deserve that one when he gets it. Absolutely Even incredible speed. performance. I didn't care for Viserys as a character reading Fire and Blood. He was a big old nothing. It was like, all right, he's here, he's gone. Okay, and now because of Patty, he's one of those characters I'm going to think about often. And it's not because of what George wrote, it's because of what was on the screen. It's a weird thing, yeah. Like, never before has a character... There's almost no character in of his writings in Westeros and beyond. He's likely there. Could be this way, yeah. Like, he's the most important, least described character. Like, Alicent, also, like, we talked about Alicent and Aemon are great examples of characters that we see a lot differently now. For them, it's more like we have a new opinion in part because they've been changed. With Viserys, sure, he's been changed, but it's more like it was blanks were filled in. And with Alicent, it's more like, oh, I see her as more nuanced now. It's like with like uh, I understand things, but also it's just different. She's nine years changed in age, and there's no friendship with Rhaenyra at all in the book. So it's just very different. Mm. And all three of these characters have had extremely good performances by their actors, but Patty's is the most like inventive the one that mo- the most like added something that nothing was there with Allison and Amy they were they're pretty fleshed out in the book yeah they're more you... fleshed out in a lot of ways here in the show but this but it's more that they've been changed really well effectively mm-hmm. with Viserys it's more like this is new <laughs> where there was nothing there was something there's like this is one and now it's two this is 
Like that, this is one, now it's blue. Especially <laughs> it's because paradigm. how they've talked about him is that uh, him and Matt Smith in particular did a lot of improvisation with their characters. They suggested a lot of things, mm. which I know in Game of Thrones made people lose their minds because they didn't like the choices. But it seems like at this point, maybe Patty Considine, Considine gets a almost a writer's credit for Viserys because even his last words, he said, were improvised. The uh, When he said no more and he did all that, nobody told him to do that. I, they just said, go for it. And he did. The scene with him and Matt Smith going up on the Iron Throne, that was all improvised. He was going up on the throne anyway, but him dropping it and picking it up and them going for it. That's a moment that came not from writers, as much as people are freaking out about writers these days. But they added a lot more flexibility to the actors. And so I think you can definitely say that patty really made it his own in a way yeah, we, in a way we don't know from game of thrones really a way that we aren't able to see from other there's probably a lot there's probably a, at least a few other actors out there that are capable of adding this much to a role if the role allowed it but most roles simply do not have this much space dan and so dave a, didn't. He nailed it a he nailed it b the role allowed for that's mm -hmm. the that b is pretty important like a lot of people may have would, maybe would have dropped the ball or just been good rather than great but a huge part of it the unique Way this role was quote unquote written in Fire and Blood because it wasn't, of course, written to be a TV role in the first place, but the way it's been adapted, it's just extremely unique. I don't know that we'll ever see anything else quite like it because the circumstances just don't, I don't know that they exist for any other character like this or. Oh, there's um, one. But it is Larry yeah, Strong. Matthew Needham's, <laughs> Matthew Needham's doing incredible things with that character. Right, that's true. That's true. He, we, but we had strong opinions on what kind of type of character he is. I don't true. suppose that we're. Yeah. The, the new, he is different, nuanced, but he's still villain. He's know, within like the box were. of Laris. Patty yeah. went outside of what was given, way outside of yeah, it. Way outside of it. And I wonder, yeah, I wonder how that will come up with some other characters like down the line when they do other, or just other characters. Like you said, there's going to be a lot of new characters popping up next season who, from other regions. And maybe some of these will also, actors who don't normally have the flexibility to explore their characters the way that historical figures have because historical figures are by definition not as fleshed out so it just makes sense that the certain actors who have that ability to a not some of them just do amazingly just as actors but some of them also have native talent to you said be effectively like secondary writers yeah there's a few shows out there that do that like the office was known for doing that where like they specifically broke the mold and told had some of the writers you have to be in some scenes so you know what it's like mm. so you can be on both sides of it and that really helps them that help i think it's like of course like kelly and ryan and toby for our examples and those are characters that are writers and actors they're both characters it's almost like a version of that sure they're they get room to write their own character they're not actually writing the dialogue except for the ad libs but have a lot of influence on how it comes out george does really not give a lot of these historical characters a lot to go on one of my favorite ones is people are like aegon the conqueror is my favorite character i'm like he's not a character he's he barely yeah. exists we know nothing about him we know the, yeah they like the character vision of him is that he keeps himself a secret so there's very little to know like he intentionally hides what right. he's all about he's mysterious <laughs> you like mystery that's not that doesn't tell you a whole lot about him but we learn a lot more about Visenya and Rhaenys than we do Aegon he's like kind of a blank slate so I think that in some cases that's probably why people are really into certain characters because they get to project a lot onto them because there's not a lot there but yeah. oh they, they have a sense that there's a lot they could add to it they're like oh you know what I have some ideas for this yeah
Sean comment here. Sean Collins, most recent interview with Condal, clarifies how the writing room actually works and straight up says the fans aren't just wrong about characters, but how the show gets made. Yeah, fans don't understand how TV shows work, especially not something like Game of Thrones, something like House of the Dragon and Game of Thrones, where no one person has total control over what shows up on the screen, not even the editor, not even the showrunner. It's everything's by committee, everything's by decision. So if you're one of those people that's out there screaming about a particular writer that you really hate, that you think butchered some character, know that it was the entire production. No one yeah. person did it to anybody. A lot of people signed off on pretty much everything. Yeah. But not everyone signed off on everything. <laughs> you're right, committees, it's all committees. It's my understanding as well. Yeah. They have two showrunners. They have a big writer's room. Actually, that's one of the things that I think is carrying over from Game of Thrones is that people are used to being able to blame Dan and Dave because they really controlled the process from writing to shooting to editing the whole way mm. out. How's the Dragon is not that. They're, the, Ryan Connell is not sitting down, typing out the scripts himself and then directing it and then seeing it the whole way through and then going into the editing thing. Like He's a part of the process. But no one person has that kind of power this time around. It's, it is a different behind the scenes. The whole structure of the creative organization is different. That's really important to acknowledge. You're right. Oh, I think we're probably about done here. Aziz getting kind of late. Well, not for us. Yep. We're up all we're up all night anyway. But if you have, if you guys have I ever do believe we've handled it. If you guys ever DM Aziz, the right time to get him is it like at five in the morning because he's always awake <laughs> in the middle of the afternoon, <laughs> like mid morning, maybe not middle of the night. You'll maybe. get Aziz. That's when he's <laughs> awake. Not. Yeah, I thought this was. I guess before we go, where would you rate this episode in terms of the season so far? Do, off the top of your head, how far, like towards the top, towards the bottom, towards the middle? I guess toward mid upper middle, mm. I guess. It's hard to say. I haven't been like rating them as I go through. Partly because both of the last two episodes suffered by not having some of the some of their best cast members in them at all. Mm. The episode nine went from we went from every episode having the four main characters even when the actor switched to episode nine having only Alicent, no damon viserys or rainier and this one of course uh, no Alicent or and a little bit of just a little bit of auto but no like it's mid Otto. yeah so that's not like a necessarily a bad thing but it all the other episodes did jumped around so well and the focused episodes are hard to compare to the ones that have the more of the sprawl of cast even though we haven't gotten to full sprawl yet <laughs> that's true also miguel shapachnik said that in his mind episodes nine and ten are just one long episode that they just got cut apart that's a good way to think about them yeah i like that idea as far as like how to put it frame it in your mind what about you where do you rate it i thought it was it's hard to say because there weren't too many that i like i disliked i don't think i disliked any of them all of them on my internal scale were at least very good there were none that were like going down towards mediocre or fair or something like that i was pretty well entertained the entire time my favorite one i think by far was episode eight i think that's everyone's agreeing that one's probably the best one of the season i haven't really ranked them in my head too much either this yeah it's probably middle of the pack seeing the vagar and luke stuff was pretty good i think if we really jumped out at me is this was exceptional except for a dragon person connection stuff i was like yeah. that's really cool that that blew me away when i was watching that i thought that yeah like if, if this was an award show for the season you would highlight different things about different episodes that they excelled at like this one was like i think it's, we said at the beginning this one was probably the most cinematic and like you said maybe number eight was the most emotional and maybe number nine was the most tense or something mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of like award for best scene with a dragon and it goes to yeah i don't know there, there's a lot of 
I take it back Wait, slightly. I'm... There's one I didn't think too highly of, and that was the Driftmark episode. Not because of what happened, but because Miguel Sapochnik put that crazy dark filter on everything, and it was so hard to see. That was the one thing throughout the entire season that really annoyed me. Now, I know how to make my TV look good. I know how to make it so I can see everything, but I just I didn't like the effect, and it was so present throughout the entire thing. I was like, I don't like this. I'm not a big fan. The story it's and everything was great. Squinting. Yeah, I like to see my show. So as uh, basic as that makes me, but yeah, yeah. I got to agree with that. I thought this was pretty good. There were a lot of high points. I felt there's a, a real sense of tragedy in this one. And I do really want to hear somebody give an interview, like really delving into Matt Smith or a Damon choking Rhaenyra. I want to hear like a full explanation because they didn't do that one in the after the episode. I think we probably got there based on the ep the clues in the episode. But yeah, that one, that was the one thing that probably held me back from throwing it into like, the top tier of it. I was just like, oh, oh, okay, I need to think about this one for a few days before I think I understand it, if that makes sense. I think it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah vibe with that <laughs> all right all right Z's, why don't you go ahead and pimp all your stuff out where can people find you what do you have coming up yeah well, we're gonna probably do some look backs at individual character arcs during the season and kind of look at things from their perspective that's always fun to do to see like their individual conflicts and we'll continue to do our new parallel live series and we'll be continuing we'll get back some book fire and blood material most likely we're kind of still working it out. We're what's going to be going on at History of Westeros postseason. It was one of those Same. things that we had to play it by ear, so to speak. But it's a good the season went so well that I'm sure we'll have we'll have fun whatever we do, whatever we decide to do. We're going to do some polling of our people and see what comes of that. Yep, we'll keep the content coming for sure and have a good old time with it. If there's a few things that are very steady in this fandom, it's that History of Westeros will find something to talk about and will make mm. it interesting anyway. Even no matter how <laughs> small or weird or something you never <laughs> thought about before, you guys will find a way to talk about it for two hours and I will listen the whole time. Mm, your brand. Thank you, and thank you for having me. This was great. I really enjoyed chatting about it right after. Now we have to go make content tomorrow. <laughs> uh, Shea is already working on content, I assume. Yeah, she's right over here. Yeah, yeah just going away, <laughs> making her short. Actually, by the way, this is something that you guys should definitely go watch. Ashea, every Monday, I think, puts out her short recap episode of the of the short recap of the previous episode. And it's like five, six, seven minutes long. It's like a really fast thing. She puts a lot of humor into it and stuff like that. Go check it out. I know everybody yeah. loves History of Westeros for their long form, but she does a really good job on those. So definitely really make does, sure yeah. you go watch them. Check out her Arrested Development that intro. That one too, that was so good. Not 18 seconds of the Greens Arrested Development. It's on our channel. You can Great stuff. It published just uh, two days ago so yeah <laughs> i think people are surprised that to see videos on your channel that aren't two hours long so they're like oh what is this this hours or 18 seconds range also wanted to say a thank you to last few super chats that came in jen hack two australian dollars key please keep up the great work during the break no doubt about that one i'm not going anywhere neither is aziz and ashea the content never stops two dollars from my ayara What's the first off-season content? I've got a video on Harrenhal coming, and then I'm going to do one about Aemond. And then after there, I don't know, because unlike most people for my content this season, I picked and chose, I picked and chose what I made videos on on a feel rather than any for, any sort of systematic like review or anything like that. So there's a lot of stuff I can go back to that I just didn't feel it at the time, which of course totally worked out with the how successful those videos were. But there's I always have way more thoughts than I have time to put into a video. So don't you worry. There's going to be a lot more. 
may find some patterns or some things you didn't notice when you look at the season as a whole too. So yeah, yeah, maybe some new ideas come around. It usually, actually sure. usually happens when I listen to you or Radio Westeros. I'm just like, you guys put everything into such an ordered way and have just a, a really systematic way of thinking about things. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. And that links to that and that links to that. And then all of a sudden the video comes out of nowhere. Well, glad to help. Helping everybody out. Also, Joanna Robinson, who apparently watches your stuff all the time. That's very flattering. We're glad to have her as a friend and collaborator occasionally. She's there you great. go. So I think that's probably it. We went for way longer than normal. Two hours, 45 minutes. This will be edited down probably to like hour 45 after I throw it through Descript. So look for that that one coming out on the podcast feed. Actually, by the way, if you guys listen to this on the podcast feed on the wit and wisdom of Joe Magician, leave a review wherever you're listening to it if you could. Yeah. Tell me what you think, especially on iTunes or whatever, but whatever site it is, whatever gator you use to find the podcasts. Let's throw some good ones in there. And if you guys make me laugh, I will read them in the next live stream. So there you go. Actually, incentive. there's the incentive. Actually, people have been competing my recent videos because they've been noticing that I keep pinning the comments that make me laugh the most. So now everyone's just trying to get me laugh instead of telling me mm -hmm. I'm wrong about some minor thing that doesn't matter. I prefer the one where they're trying to get me to laugh. That one works out way better. Anyway, thanks you, Aziz, for coming. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out tonight. We'll see you in a year and a half or two years for, for <laughs> our Hot D coverage. Uh, just kidding. That's, who knows when this that's the season's going to come back into season two. But whenever it is, make sure you check both of our channels out. I Everything you love will be coming back again.